let's get online here and and, and chat. All right. Uh, are, who's doing the? Are you You're, doing it? I thought you were doing. <laughs> All right, I'll do it. Well, hello out there, beautiful beings, and welcome wherever you are in time, space, in the universe, on the globe. Welcome to the Celluloid Pudding Podcast. I'm your host, Sam, and I'm here with my beautiful, wonderful, erudite, and extremely knowledgeable co-host, Beth, to do, actually, a hat tip and a film for uh, a fan who wrote in. Yeah, listen. Monsieur Guillaume. Monsieur Guillaume sent us. A, ma- um, a male. Yeah, he sent us mail. Um, <laughs> he sent us an email and he said that uh, he is a he enjoys the films of help me Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> Stanley, of Stanley Kubrick. 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 Stanley Kubrick. I think he Man said he had seen a Man About Town. If you're blue and you don't know where to go, to. Uh, I think he had first watched A Clockwork Orange. He told us in his very long and, and insightful and lovely letter, email rather, uh, and and he thought, I, I must know this director. I must know more about him. And, and he went deep into that rabbit hole and, and looked up his whole canon. That's, that's what I gleaned from the letter back. That is what I gleaned as well. Oh, by the way, Happy New Year, folks. Happy, Happy 2023. Yeah. So Floyd moving Leah, forward. Yeah. Uh, this is a good example of we want to uh, really reach out more and more to our listeners, and we want your feedback. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can get in a hold of us. At, you know what, Beth? I think we're a little bit like Tinkerbell. You know how <laughs> Tinkerbell needs applause or she starts to wither and feel, you know, fey and starts dying? If you care about us at all, please, please interact with us. We love it. We love it. We love you interact with us i haven't had anything to drink i'm just normal right now well i'm i'm not like tinkerbell so i'll be out here no? blabbing no matter what <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just um, nice to know i mean spotify thank you spotify for whatever that was what was yeah, it called? That was 2022 wrapped or our something? 2022 wrapped was really no I, I think it was false in one area i think i've, I've noticed in our analytics we have some 37 countries following us and, and they didn't say 37. They listed 20. 13, but we don't know if people are listening online and using a VPN. So that's also a possibility. That's true. Uh, it was curious that Taiwan was our number three, I think, and uh, UK and somebody else was surprising to me. Well, it, it was cool. And uh, direct link is how uh, most people are sharing our podcast. So we thought I don't know that what was. What that means? Does that mean somebody goes surfing uh, into uh, Apple um, Podcasts? Yeah, someone's just copying the link and sharing it with people, and I thought that was really cool. Oh, that is super cool. So, that is super cool. But but in addition <laughs> to that, not, I don't know. like send the. We don't really we don't know, know what anything. we're doing. <laughs> but but uh, if you should like to interact with us, we we do have an online presence other than than the podcast itself. We have an Instagram presence and. Uh, we're known there as PUDPOD, P-U-D-D-P-O-D, but you can also just type in celluloid pudding and you'll find us. And we put up lots of little fun things, and you can DM us there. We have an email account, celluloidpudding at gmail.com, and that's how Guillaume reached us. And he's our, our number one fan, and you want to knock him out of place. And we also <laughs> have a Twitter presence, don't we, Beth? What? What might that be? Celluloid Puddin, P-U-D-D-N, on Twitter for as long as Twitter uh, remains <laughs> in existence. Say, 
I'm still waiting for you know waking up one morning and just the I screen think he is wants black. it to crash and burn. Clear. Am I allowed to just, say that? I have the white screen, not the not the. I, I I don't understand people who turn turn their back screen to like blue or black or. Does this have special meaning? I don't know if it does. It, it does. <laughs> used to what it. does it mean? You can go to dark dark mode, which you know just makes the screen dark. Er. And it's not a political some coding. No, it's not political. It's not a political <laughs> coding. It's just some people have an easier time seeing text or seeing the. Their, oh, I get uh, that. I, I have dark mode for my phone because I don't like the bright mode. I, I and I like bright. It <laughs> I like it burning nice. through my corneas. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I I I dislike that. I guess. <laughs> But we can we can agree that we can each have what we need. I'm not drinking either, eat. by the way. I'm just enjoying. I know this is just normal. A cup, a cup of I Joe. Think I've been. <sighs> did you have a nice Christmas, Beth? I had a great Christmas. Did you have a good Christmas? I did, in spite of it. I, <laughs> I did, and the lights are still up. And I don't know if they were supposed to come down yesterday, but I don't have that many lights. But someone told me, you know, listeners, maybe you could chime in. But someone told me that technically January 3rd, you're supposed to keep them up till January 3rd, which is the Wiseman, or maybe it's January 6th. I don't know. The Epiphany. Yeah, when is the Which epiphany? I'd like to have one of is the 6th, I think. Didn't we <laughs> okay, have this so conversation session during Tangerine? We tried to figure it out. There's always an Epiphany Mass like a week after Christmas, and that, that's a, always a big deal too. So. Okay. I just don't know. And – um, yeah, so we're <laughs> so let's talk about this goddamn movie. Let's talk about this goddamn movie. Um, this was this film. First of all, has the distinction eyes wide shut. Has the distinction well, several distinctions. One, it was Stanley Kubrick's final film, his swan song, and he considered it his best work and contribution to the world of cinematic art. He, he yeah, did. It, he, he did say that. He did say that. I did not so know. So he was quite fond of it. He had purchased the rights for this film way, way back in the 60s, uh, just after 2001, Space Odyssey. And he thought about doing it for a very long time, but with the help of a friend, purchased those rights. And it's based on an Austrian novel. What, uh, were people, like, knocking down the door to get the rights to this film? I wonder. I don't know, but, you know, uh, I, I, you know Stanley Kubrick it was an unusual man. And I think things needed a very long growth period before he would see them to fruition. And, and apparently he'd been thinking about Trom Nobel, which was the original book it was based on. And he would probably thought about The Sentinel. For, well, I don't know. When was The Sentinel published? The hmm. short story that 2001 was based on. Oh. I'd have to look that up. Hold now on. now you had that? to do that. Why did why'd I ask that? Because there's answer. plenty to talk All about right. without having to look shit up. Without having to up. So much to talk oh, about. Oh, God. No we have thoughts, <laughs> thoughts on this Great. film. All right, let's get to that. The Sentinel 2017. Jack Reacher. Wait. Is it not called The Sentinel? No, oh, that was written in 48, and I guess he must have snapped those up pretty soon. Anyhow, well, Eyes Wide Shut has another distinction, and that's that it took some 46 weeks of continuous filming to complete because of Kubrick's perfectionism. 
you said something interesting, um, and I kind of picked up a, on it. Not probably not the first time I saw the film, which is uh, I did not see it in the theater. You saw it in the theater. I did. Donna and I saw it at home, probably rented it from Blockbuster. And I I didn't pick up on the fact that, it, but this time I did. It looked like it was filmed somewhere other than New York, even though it's supposed to be set in New York. Yeah, he he was uh, he had this famous. Uh, notorious fear of flying Stanley Kubrick so he said if I can't I, I think there were a few uh, maybe scouting shots establishing shots notably used for rear projection in the taxi ride that Tom Cruise t often takes he takes many taxi rides but he basically rebuilt Greenwich Village the exteriors in uh, well several several towns in, in England yeah, I, I had this feeling. I don't know why. The second time watching it, I was looking hard for mess ups. Beth, did you see any? I saw one that I thought I didn't know if it was an issue with continuity or or what, but uh, maybe maybe it wasn't. I don't know. It's just uh, the issue. The issue or what I picked out was out of frame, so there there was really kind of no way to verify it. It's an it's got a distinct look, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I, I, I would. Um, and I just wanted to get, hold on, sorry, the cinematographer's name, unless you have it there. Um, I do not. He was like a gaff, gaff, the gaffer? What's it called? The gaff boy for The Shining and something else. And I think Full Metal Jacket. And then suddenly he became the, the cinematographer. Larry Smith. I should be able to keep that in my head. Larry Smith. And he used as as much natural lighting as he could. And I did see some techniques uh, like wetting down the streets and things like that. So it had a, a particularly uh, useful reflective look and it had a soft lighting look. And I, I know they did uh, that overdevelopment. Yeah, the, the lines aren't uh, very sharp. Emulsion is the word I'm looking yeah. for. Some are, some are definitely in focus, but others, the overall, the look of the film is not not crisp. I wouldn't call it crisp, but I maybe that's because so much of it is this conveyance of a dreamlike state. Yes, yes, and also using that you know available lighting and not set lighting particularly and. Uh, all of those Christmas lights that are in every, almost every scene, those Christmas trees that are in every scene, the ambient light, it's, it's, I think it's probably one of the most beautiful films. And I know we just did a beautiful film in Carol. And, and this, I don't know, I don't know, I have to put it up there with Carol in terms of beauty. No, but nice try. It has a distinct look. It's very red. Very red. I, I noticed primary colors a lot, and I, which was interesting. So blue, red, I noticed red a lot, yellow, and a lot of red. I always felt like Nicole Kidman's character had the more reds associated with her, like the domestic realm, the red uh, curtains everywhere, and all that sort of thing. And I remember the blue seemed to be dominant when there was danger, and I saw a lot of yellow as the daytime scenes within their apartment are the most uh, natural in terms of like the, the, the color palette and and brightest. Not not super bright, but just uh, 
garish gar that red just sort of seeping in through everywhere which that you you do see when he's walking through the village that's true and at the, for the daytime yes and by the way i'd kill for that apartment not literally folks but it it's it's one beautiful apartment and it establishes right away that we're dealing with folks um who make a very good living the the upper class not necessarily because there are some upper upper class folk there too aren't they well healed oh, you're yuppies but they're real yuppies. they're the real yuppies they're the yuppies yeah. that not, not from the 80s the right kind of went side of central park <laughs> that <clears throat> sort of touched that ceiling and then kind of crashed and burned some of those yuppies the uh he is a successful physician he makes house calls and it, it looks like his clientele is of the upper the upper upper crust blue blood like of way up there new york the society ceiling. yeah um, can i just interject with one one bit of trivia uh our, our main characters are let's see alice and dr bill Harford, dr bill and they have a, a lovely daughter seven-year-old helena what i read was originally in the book there there's a strong uh jewish identity to the protagonist and oh, Cooper for whatever reason, didn't want that. And he told the others, you know, I'm looking for a Harrison Ford kind of guy. And so, indeed, the surname for our protagonist is Harford. Harrison Ford. Harford. It's pretty literal. So. That is funny. Well, portrayed by, at the time, married couple Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Yes. Married in real life. Yes. And <laughs> I was joking with Sam that this film that people blame Scientology but really it was the making of this film <laughs> probably <laughs> initiated the downfall of their marriage because the the filming was intense wasn't it it was very intense and and one thing i did read was that there, there's a lot of this uh, let, maybe we should do the the gist the gist is a married couple married 9 years you know the, the upper crust in new york city uh the tom cruise character dr bill is is a medical doctor clearly and his wife is what an out of work art curator art house curator i'm not sure what she was she used to manage a uh, art gallery in soho that went out of business and uh, or went you know belly up and now she's basically a stay-at-home mom very pretty people and I, I guess with the with the book the that um, that Jewish identity was was very much in the foreground. It was also set at ter in turn of the century Vienna, and oh, okay. Kubrick moved it up to latter half of the century uh, New York City, which I, I find very interesting. He he took many liberties, is what I'm trying to say with the novel. It makes me wonder <laughs> though, what why yeah. he made those changes. I don't know if Kubrick Kubrick was an odd duck, wasn't he? So who knows? Because there are a couple of things that uh, there's a scene in particular we'll get to where the Tom Cruise Bill character is walking along and a group of youths uh, pass him by and sort of shove him and make homophobic slurs yes. at him. And apparently in the book, uh, a similar scene happened and oh. anti-Semitic slurs were thrown at him. Okay. So that's an interesting, I don't know, switch. Yeah. That is interesting. Hmm. Well, should we get into the film? Should we dive Let's get right into in? it. Yes. <laughs> uh, first, oh, beautiful. I mean, there's there's the fat font. What is the fat font called? And it seemed too late in the decade for fat font for the opening credits. You know, Stanley Cooper, Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman. 
the fir- the first thing that struck me as the film two things actually the music yes which uh i did not know as a shostakovich fan but apparently now i am because mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm like it, it plays at the beginning and then it plays at the end of the film gives it sort of a carnival type of feel it before does. you get into some pretty heavy stuff doesn't it so it's waltz two from jazz suite and i thought jazz suite shostakovich yeah. But I love it. It, it that's a, a, immediately what I thought of Sam. It's the carnival but, atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll just say one more thing about the book because I haven't read the book, but I've read about it. Is that it's set during Carnival, and Kubrick decided to switch that up to Christmas. Ah, I did see so that. Interesting. I did interesting choice. But I think Kubrick is known for using a lot of classical music in his movies. If I think of 2001. Yes. And. Uh, Blue Danau, Lao Danau, however one says, and many other pieces. Well, I actually made a, I made a game out of, <laughs> out of the first uh, ball, that, you know, there's basically two balls in this, film, but the first ball at Ziegler, Ziegler's yes. house, yes, uh, there's a, a, a playlist it that I I was picking out. Because I, I happen to be a fan of that era of music, but sort of old standard twenties, thirties. <clears throat> yeah, sort of big band type tunes. But yeah. the let's talk about the very first frame though that is shown Beautiful. in the film. Uh, you go from this black screen with the with the credits, the just bare minimum minimum credits, and to a stunning shot of Nicole Kidman who is disrobing, and it's just her her lovely long frame from the backside, and she's taking off her. Her gown or something, isn't she? I had asked you, um, do you think that is not a, a non-linear frame? Because she's undressing, and then the next time we see her, though, she's fully dressed and, and getting ready to go out. She checks her head. I, she, yeah. I hadn't considered that, unless it was just one of those I'm having a wardrobe trauma thing. And, but oh, that, maybe. That would make sense. That would, maybe that's what it was, yeah. But we don't know. But it's a stunning opening. You have my attention. Oh, definitely. And, yeah. Yeah. Got my attention. And uh, so you have beautiful <laughs> the backside of Nicole Kidman, who by any standard of judgment is a stunning person to look at. And she's framed on either side by these very you know, red, red curtains. And red becomes a very big theme, as we mentioned before in this film. Cut to... Kind of bustling around the bedroom, right? Because they're going to go to a big party. Yeah, they're getting ready to go out. And and I will say this: Tom Cruise is they're they're both at the peak of their I would say physical beauty, as far as seeing them on film. Wouldn't you agree? I absolutely agree. They they're 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 beautiful people. They it's are lovely to look at. And uh, and and Kubrick does a, a wonderful job framing it especially he, he gets up up close and personal doesn't he in, in many and from from any angle gorgeous and gorgeous. and you know uh dr bell and I, I chuckled more than more than a few times the third watch through thinking of and making notes dr bell does this because <laughs> of <laughs> our friend bell, <laughs> dr bell and you know he's but it's like sam said he's bustling putting things in his pocket and she asked him to how's my hair look and is wonderful he's not even looking at her and she's sitting on the toilet so it's like you know we've been together nine years there are no secrets between us and they're just sort of getting ready to go to this party and she's you know they're sharing the bathroom 
and making niceties and uh, oh I, I almost called you on this Beth because she seems to need glasses but before she goes to the ball she takes off her glasses and and goes I guess blind as a as a glasses wearer a spectacle wearer I I was confused by that but we can move along <laughs> I I'll take them off but it's really not pretty if there are going to be stairs and heels and things I, oh and yeah. they seem to be pretty thick lenses in a particular scene Oh, I, I didn't pay attention to the thickness of the lenses. She looks stunning in glasses, though. She does. She has these great framed Completely changes her um, vibe. It does. <laughs> Turns her into hot academic when she puts glasses hot on. Hot academic or, uh, I don't know, powder puff girl. And I, she's kind of weird, isn't she? They go to this ball, and they don't really know this guy, Ziegler. What's his first name? I can't remember. Um at first, I thought he was a maybe an, another physician surgeon. No, he's one of his clientele. I didn't. That's I right. didn't realize that. Played brilliantly as always by this wonderful, the late great Sidney Pollock. Just a fantastic presence. This film was uh, premiered uh, posthumously. Kubrick yeah. had died suddenly uh, <laughs> after the, the initial viewing, I guess, which would have been internal. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm. I'm guessing. I, I think he showed it to Warner Brothers, the the cut, and to Nicole Kidman and, and Tom Cruise. I don't know what it means to Warner Brothers, but but whoever was overseeing this project, uh, he died unexpected. It said unexpectedly from a heart Six attack. Six days later. I I was wondering why. Uh, and I thought it was a longer illness, and I had wondered uh, maybe he had Pollock come. On it, like maybe if he knew he was sick, maybe that's why he had Pollock on as a cast oh. member. I don't, I don't know, but obviously that doesn't plan, pan I out. I think the man's ego would not let him it, yeah. another director. <laughs> Rather kill it than probably. Than I'm just going to cut that all out. <laughs> no, don't, because I think that's interesting. You'd want Pollock there. I'd read somewhere that Woody Allen and Steve Martin were initially going to be thought of as, as people participating in this film. It was going to be a comedy at first, and then it was pared down, pared down to something well, There were some else. strange comic moments. Yeah. Yeah, there were. But they were strange. Yeah. So they're at this party. Let's get back to the party, because that's okay. the fun uh, stuff. <laughs> first of all, picture, you know, really buku buck, bucks, huge mansion, just all decked out with, with beautiful Christmas lights, white lights cascading down everywhere. Trays of champagne being served. Yeah. There's a, you know, ten piece, twelve piece orchestra. You know, yeah. it, it it's exquisite. It's one of those uh, uh, mansions that y you will get lost in it because yeah. you they're just honeycombs of rooms and an upstairs. Like that honeycombs of rooms. Yeah. And. It, People dripping, women dripping with jewels, and men not in rented tuxes, in tuxes that they own, perfectly tailored. Everyone's dancing like they went to cotillion. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> uh, wait, I have a note here. Dr. Bill and Alice begin dancing. He's surely wearing lifts in his shoes. That's uncharitable. It's uncharitable, but there were a couple of times in the film where it, it's very obvious. The, not just the height difference, but the fact that a certain very famous, successful actor is is not a very tall individual. Yes. So there's but, that. Uh, 
There, there is that, and I don't know if if Tom convinced Kubrick or because he does look shorter at the big weird party we're going to talk about. And uh, right away, they're dancing, and it's beautiful and lovely, and lots of golds I note, and uh, just the lights from the from the the Christmas lights cascading everywhere. And Tom Cruise's character, Doctor Bill, looks up at the band, and he notices the piano player, right? Yes. Hey, I know that dude, but he doesn't say it like that. And indeed, he does know him. It was somebody he had gone to medical school with by the name of Nick Nightingale. I said it without laughing. Nick Nightingale. <laughs> I laugh at it now. <laughs> and he he wants to go up when the when the band takes a break and and have a chat with Nick. Alice excuses herself, doesn't she? So we have a divide going on. He wants to go talk to his old medical school buddy, and she's like, yeah, I'm going to find an excuse and go to the ladies' room. I do wonder if – because there is some aspect to Dr. Bell that's a little bit smug. Yes. And very pleased with himself. Very pleased, yes. I, I kind of felt like she was over the party because the minute she leaves him – she, she goes grabs in passing, like <laughs> and slugs down one champagne. Yes, right, a flute of champagne, just like that. They agree to meet at the bar. Yes, and there's a little convo between between Doctor Bill and Nick. How yes. you been? Back slapping. Now, now, what did you think of this business of smacking somebody on the chest and the stomach, saying you're still the same? I, I, I'd break a man's arm, but. But I guess maybe guys do that sort of thing. It's it's the, you know, buddy, boy, you haven't changed a bit. It's, it's been 10 years. Yes. I think that's what Nick says. Dr. Bill looks down on Nick for having dropped out of I think he school. does, too. I think he does, mm, too. You're just a pianist now. Then there's sort of switch scenes. <laughs> Will we get this guy's name right? Nicole is sitting or standing. Sanders. Standing at a table watching people dance, and she has her champagne, and she sets it down. And for the longest time, the camera's behind them, and we see an older gentleman. I, I don't know what would you say, sixty-ish there thereabouts. I would say gazing 60. at her. Yeah, late. 50s. Clearly, very interested in her before she notices him. When she sets down her champagne glass, he picks it up. She notices it. She reaches for it and says, "Oh, I, I, that's that's my champagne glass." And he, he says, what does he say? It most definitely is. <laughs> it most there. definitely is your champagne glass. Yes. Allow me to introduce Played by you, Sky Dumont. Is that Sky? I saw it in, Sky the, Dumont. in the credits. Sander Zvost. He, I can't pronounce it. He was sort it. of a, a Jeremy Irons knockoff to me. <laughs> they start to dance. Or there's cuts back and forth between, I guess, uh, yeah. Dr. Doctor Bill and, and Nick. And then she is dancing with with Saunders. And <laughs> wait, first he says, "My name is Salver Saunders." Sanders. He Salvo. says, "My name is Sanders Salvog, and I am Hungarian." And she says, "My name is Alice, and I'm American." It's just so he just lays it on, doesn't he? They they're getting very close and cozy, and you're like, "But her husband's like right there," and she looks she's over. flanked by two beautiful ladies. Too. Yes. And she – they had an agreement for him to come back and meet her at the bar. And uh, I noticed this third watch through. 
she is standing there by the bar waiting for him. That's right. She did what she she said she'd do. She did exactly what she said she would do. And he got, you know, these two models. He got to stop him. And they're very flirty and in his face. Everybody is very flirty with Dr. Bill. Oh, and everyone. He, he acts so pleased with with their attention. And I have to say, the dialogue has that Kubrick touch. Do you, do you, you know the scenes in The Shining when Jack Torrance is talking to the ghost bartender and things like that, and there's there are always these awkward little beat pauses between sentences that, that don't sound quite natural? It's funny that you brought that up because uh, I did notice that. this. I've only watched this film three times total. So I watched it back when it first came out, watched it recently to prepare for this podcast, and then I watched it again today. And yeah, one of the things I thought of last night, wrapping up my second watch through, is there is a sort of this stilted, awkward way in which the characters are speaking and interacting with each other. Yeah. Is it on purpose? Is it a Kubrick thing, right? Is it a Kubrick thing? And even you could go to 2001 and say there's there's something kind of, you know, it, now it could be because he's talking to a computer, but I don't know. I don't know either. I'm now, thinking of The Shining. I'm thinking of Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket, there's not a lot of that. No. Not a lot of the stiltedness. Um, no. No, but it's definitely in The Shining, and it's definitely in this film. And I'd have and to. And it's particularly between those two. When you focus on those two, because I don't think the Sidney Pollack character has that stilted way of talking or anybody else. No, but you know, now that I'm thinking about it, Kubrick is, you could argue, a director who is might be a, not obsessed but fascinated by patterns of speech because it's it's clear uh, he's fascinated with the language of drill sergeants. Oh yeah. If you if you go into uh, and and in a, in a way you could look at 2001 as he's fascinated with the the language and speech patterns of science and AI tech, versus a yeah. human yeah. Uh, there's a I guess you could even go to um, well Clockwork Orange also. Oh yes. Well that we can. What's his name? Anthony Burgess was created his own sort of Russian hybrid language, didn't he? With this Anthony. You know what I was thinking that I messed it up with was Burgess Meredith, but no, <laughs> Anthony Burgess and Burgess Meredith, very different people. Yes, okay. definitely. Okay. Very different people, but in his mind, you have to think he re- he read Clockwork Orange, and then you would have to imagine how that conver- those conversations sound yeah. with this hybrid language that Burgess yeah. sort of creates. Yes. And how's that going to translate on Loco film? So. Devachka. Yeah, so maybe that – maybe my my point is you're right. I think it's intentional, Sam. Yeah, and and I think he has a sense of humor in there that maybe we didn't give him credit for because we were sort of reminiscing before we each prepared ourselves. I, I hadn't seen this since 99 when it came out, and I think – or when did you – when do you think you saw it? First? Oh, I definitely saw it not in the theater. I saw it when it came out on video. So I hadn't seen it in all these years before I watched today, and we were sort of laughing about some of the elements. But then as I was drawn into the film, I thought, all right, I think there is an intentional comedic bent to this thing, but but there's also a brilliance to it. It's funny. Um, after the third watch through, I'm, 
I was like, uh, well, I got to give him that. Well, I got to give him that. Well, <laughs> and and it it is one of those films where I was thinking after the after watching it after so many years, having only watched it once and then watched it yeah. again, I was so frustrated. <laughs> I call you up and go, Sam, is it an allegory? Please explain the fucking movie to me. <laughs> That's better than my phone is it, call to is you. It's just largely symbolic. How am I supposed to take this film? I think it's worse now than the time I saw it 20 years ago. We Oh, how we laughed. And, dear listeners, there were lots of phone calls back and forth as I had to pause and say, Beth, how do you put on a bra? Because I don't think that's reasonable. <laughs> what she's putting on a bra. Beth, what do you think of this? And I was like, I don't even think I can move my hands behind. And I'm literally going... Yeah. Oh, wait, I can. That's, yeah, but I don't. Kubrick not acquainted with this? It is what he's never seen his wife put one on. Or maybe she put it. I don't know. I don't know. But, um, this, this guy hitting on, back to the movie, hitting on Alice, the Nicole Kidman character, has the pickup lines of, of all pickup lines. He says, did you ever read the Latin poet Ovid on the art of love? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's just a, a Euro Lothario. He's, he's he putting is. out that vibe. Are you here Come with to anyone my... tonight, Alice? Come to my salon. We will Please make love on the I'm thinking of that uh, Christopher Walken SNL skit. <laughs> <laughs> the Continental. <laughs> but but she has a weird flirty way with him too. So she is in all, you know. She sees her husband, and he even remarks, you know, oh, do you know that man? Yes, he's my husband. And I have to tell you, Sam, uh, the Ovid reference, and then there were a few other things about marriage. Didn't yeah. he make it? There's a couple of quotes about marriage. Marriage is. Oh, yes. I think this is one of the biggest markers in the film in terms of theme. This this Lothario <laughs> from Hungary, this, this man does say something very important. When he learns that Alice is married, he says, don't you think one of the charms of marriage is that it makes deception a necessity for both parties? And so that's planted in your head right away at the get-go of this film. Is marriage something that requires deception from both parties? Can but there that's, be honesty between any two people? I want to thank you for, for explaining that to me because I didn't quite get that quote, but I did get the other quote. Which one? Oh, when he talks about, you know, women used to get married so that they could be with the men they wanted. They, they would lose their virginity so they could be with the men they really wanted. Really wanted. <laughs> I was watching this whole scene, and I could not get over <laughs> the length of Sky Dumont's nose. <laughs> I was fascinated by him, too, but I'm, I'm all drawn to accents, so I was just like, oh, why? I go upstairs and look at those sculptures with you if you want. Seriously, I was looking and looking at his profile and going, that is a long nose. Not an unattractive nose, but a very long nose. And then all of a sudden, everyone's nose seemed really long to me. <laughs> did, did he eat any special chocolate? <laughs> just, just ask. <laughs> I, I dubbed that scene <laughs> the night of the long noses. Well, now I'm not going to be able to watch it again without without looking at nose lines. Oh, very long nose that gentleman does, and he's an attractive guy. But it it is you're right. Um, Jeremy Irons definitely, yeah. I think. And he's laying it on. He he's making no pretense of of anything, and 
and he wants to go with her and, and have sex. And when she set, when she responds to him in any way, it's in this sort of, I don't know, what would you call that? Coquettish oh, way. Yeah, coquettish, you know? flirtatious. And, yeah. uh, but. He's my husband. husband. In almost a Marilyn Monroe-esque kind of delivery. Yeah. I mean. But before they can conclude their little, um, the climax of their conversation, Dr. Bill gets, we, we flip back to Dr. Bill, and he gets called, summoned away from the two beauties at his side. Yes. yes. Now, this was shocking. I remember being shocked the first time I saw that. He's summoned upstairs uh, because there's an emergency with the host of the party, Sidney Pollock slash Zegler, Mr. Zegler. And we, we uh, Dr. Bill knocks on the door, and <laughs> I, I love how, Sidney Pollock's character is putting on his suspenders over nothing. He's he's bare chested. He's just wearing his pants, and he puts his suspenders up, and you see a naked woman there, unconscious. Doctor Bill enters. He examines this woman who is about thirty years old, and she has OD'd on a speed speedball. It's a snowball, a speedball, whatever they call speedball. it. They they actually flash him. Uh, she is completely nude, and they flash him actually getting his clothes on before they even summon Dr. Bill up there. Yeah. They flash that quickly. Bill come, Dr. Bill come, and here's the stuff that didn't make any sense to me. Okay. <laughs> just, All right. Dr. Bill just comes cruising in, well-dressed. You know, he's kind of patting his tie down. <laughs> doing, yeah. Smiling, just charming the whole way through. Yeah. Holds her hand. He's like, I'm, this is how I'm going to diagnose you, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, I, I don't know what happened. Ziegler's like, she overdosed. The speedball, snowball, I don't know what. And he, Mandy, Mandy, <laughs> stare at somebody's face. Don't do anything, you know. Just, 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 I can tell. I can tell whether somebody's breathing or not just by. Would you go right for the throat pulse or the hand pulse in that situation? The scene didn't seem so ridiculous to me years ago, but when yeah. I saw it this time, I thought, that is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So so just to put things in context, these are this is the host of the party, and he's already been making the rounds with his wife, and now he's upstairs with an overdosed um, sex worker, and, uh, and she's nearly overdosed to death. So Dr. Bill is summoned up there, and he doesn't do a whole lot, does he, except tell her, you, you need to go to rehab. Could be worse. He he checks for responsiveness, which I guess is what you would do. I probably wouldn't check that way, but it, she kind of starts answering him. So he's like, okay, we're good here. So he just, I don't know, I guess he talked her into consciousness. And yes, and, and he has, and you have <laughs> to admit, he has a good. very good, he has a, he's just that good, folks. He has a wonderful bedside manner, and he's, he humanizes instead of, uh, I don't know, objectifies his patients. And, and you get that sense in many, on many occasions. And this is good to remember for later in the movie. He says, Mandy, can you hear me? Can you look at me? That's good. That's good. Look at me, Mandy. And he gives her a little bit of, you know, doctorly advice about, you know, her getting by this time and surviving and being lucky, but maybe next time not so lucky. But it's good to know that he had a good bedside manner with her. She clocked him. She yes. remembered him. During the during this encounter, I think they flip back once to Nicole or Alice dancing with yeah. Saunders, yes. and then uh, the flip back and 
he tells uh, Dr. Bell, tells Ziegler, you know, she's going to be okay. And he, he does that little pat when, when you, were, you were talking about how he's speaking to her and giving her sort of doctorly advice. Yeah. Pats her arm and goes, you can be okay. But there's something so oversimplified. He oversimplifies everything. <laughs> well, it's an awkward situation because here's the – he knows he just met the, you know, the mistress of the house who's married to this host. Sidney Pollack does take him aside and asks for his discretion, even though you get this feeling that Dr. Bill would be discreet. He wasn't willing to – and that's, that's why he does so well with these sort of highfalutin clientele. Tom Cruise masters the smarmy charm smile in this film because he's like, yes. of course, yeah, I'm not going to disclose anything. Yeah. And we think we're finished with Zegler, don't we? Like, oh, well, that was Zegler. That was Zegler. Or do we? I can't remember what I thought first time around. Well, Zegler's not pleased that – he's not pleased that Dr. Bill has said, I'll oh, keep her here for an hour. And he goes, an hour? And then you know, have someone drive her home, and he goes, oh, okay. He goes back to Alice, who's uh, – and, and her dance partner has made another indecent proposal. He learns that she's between jobs, and she had been a manager for uh, an art gallery that, that sort of went out of business. He oozes charm and says, I know many in the art game. And in fact, there's a lovely bronze uh, wing to this house with beautiful statuary. May I show you? You know, just <laughs> – and she says, "We can take off mm, your clothes. We can put our hands in the clay. I, I will touch your breasts. I will rub it all over your breasts." In the Hungarian way. <laughs> <laughs> can rub she it declines. My nose. And he goes, I know why? how to make love. To but why? Like because I'm married. And she does say it with that. Sing song. I don't know. Melanie Griffith voice is what I want to say. Mel Melanie, Melanie Griffith and Marilyn Monroe. Mashup. Yes. Yeah. Yes, she does. So in a few scenes, I'm I'm not tolerating her well. What made sense? Because I didn't understand why is she? Because she kind of picks up on his um, flirtation right away. Yeah. But then, at, when he makes the proposition, like let's go upstairs and find some privacy. Would you like yeah. some privacy with me? Yeah. Um, is when she says, "I think I've had way too much champagne." And uh, I, I think this is an important moment. Uh, we're going to find out about some fantasy things later on. But I think Alice keeps everything in the fantasy world. She doesn't cross a line. And I think that her husband, Dr. Bill, has a little more trouble with, with that concept. Yes. They leave the party and they get home. Oh, before we leave the party, I was making a mental note of the, the songs, so – I'm in the mood for love is playing. It had to be you uh, when I fall in love. And then lately, or, or there's another song, um, I only have eyes for you. And then there is also an Oscar Peterson song when they're first dancing together. I got it bad and they, that ain't good. When she first starts <laughs> yeah. dancing with Sanders. And I thought those those choices were interesting because there's another particular song that comes on at the second contrast. ball. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, but, but before we get there, we get back home and kind of a love scene, and we hear, baby did a bad, bad thing. Mm -hmm. who, 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 who sings that? Chris Isaac. 
Chris Isaac. Baby okay. did a bad, bad thing. Did he thing. also do Wicked Game? Yes, he did. Wicked Game. Yes, he did. Uh, and, uh, and it and looks like it's going to be a pretty saucy time, but you can tell that Nicole is, is looking elsewhere. She's not really engaged, and we, we sort of fade to black. Coffee oh. in the morning. Have, yes. have uh, Rose. Uh, to die for a kitchen, by the way. Oh, well, he goes back into the office, has his coffee, and and it shows him, like you said, being a doctor. <laughs> that I don't day. know. That beautiful woman just sitting there naked. They, every woman in this, by the way, has the same breast cup size, and that was a little irritating <laughs> to me, but they just do. And <laughs> maybe, maybe Nicole is a little smaller. So he does doctor things, lifting a man's leg. Putting his stethoscope to somebody, having papers around him, feeling but it a, did look very Euro to me. Feeling, European. yes, feeling a a preteen boy's glands in his throat. You know. Yes. Looking forward to Christmas. A sort of a GP type situation, which I thought GPs don't really make a lot of money, but yeah. he he brags. I about, did think of that. I did think, all right, that's about two hundred thousand New York City. I don't think so, but if he's making these private calls, if he is. Making house calls and uh, waiting on folks at a concierge level, making himself available and being discreet, being discreet and um, maybe very possibly concierge uh, practices are are the thing down here right now in Florida. Oh, really? Uh, To belong to a concierge practice. He basically comes back home. Yes. And this is when we have the pot scene. Yes, Nicole goes into the. I, I love to look at all the little things the set designer does. Is that who would do put all the little products and things around? And I was looking very closely and even froze, you know, paused for the vanity to see what was on the vanity. Paused in the bathroom, and yes, they're all American products. And uh, did I see a plug on the inside? That would make it authentically American because they don't do plugs on the inside. What do you mean plug? Uh, they they don't have outlets on in the bathrooms in England because they consider it a hazard. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's a weird. I don't know. Uh, but she goes into the medicine cabinet and pulls out a band aid box, band aid brand box, and that's where she keeps her stash of pots. So they're like cool cool yuppies, I guess. They have their one naughty <laughs> thing that they do on the their side. Their one little vice. Yeah, and she rolls a joint pretty expertly, but I only see her hands, so I don't know who's really rolling the joint. And. Uh, yeah, I don't see her exhale smoke, so I wonder if there was an issue with that, with the pot. Oh, uh, we don't see we don't see Tom Cruise take a drag of it. We see her oh, take he a would drag. Be really opposed to that, wouldn't he? We physically do not, and in the nude scenes, we never see both of her un. They're married at the time. Yeah. The the first love, first really and only love scene between the two of them. They're they're in the mirror in the bathroom, the vanity mirror, and you don't see her naked chest as they're embracing at the same time. Oh, it's choreographed okay. in such a way to where only one nipple shows at a time, seem seemingly. We get full back, but not full. Okay, and maybe and I think we get full chest of, but nothing below the belt, you know for. Tom Cruise. Not that we're looking for that, but it's just interesting the the director's eye and what he chose to. Oh, I think those those are very important shots when you're trying to figure out, uh, you know, try and get into the mind of a director. 
That's actually a very important job. And it's not a good trip for them, is it, their pot trip? He's, no. he's having fun. <laughs> he's, he's thinking we're, we're going to get a little high and naughty. And she kind of flips out. Like, now, who were those girls you were? I found her, the, the things she got irritated about kind of confusing. I did too. She provoked him. She so, did. Well, I'll, I'll save it. I'll be Tom Cruise and you can be Nicole Kidman. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because I right. felt like Tom Cruise in that argument. I felt like I don't understand what you're saying. You know what? I did too. I thought, you're just being – and why are you pushing him with this naval officer like this? You know, we all have fantasies. But that's young love for you. You don't have your grounding yet, do you? What does she, she say? starts with um, those two ladies you were talking to. Were you – how does she put it? Were you trying to – she doesn't say seduce. She says, were you, were you hitting on them or – or something like that, right? I don't even Nuala and and another model. And he's just like, what? He's incredulous. What? No, he's incredulous. But we know a little bit as viewers because before he got called up to to deal with the the overdosed sex worker, those two ladies were lead, leading him away someplace. What what did they say to the end of the rainbow? Mm, Rain, yes. Rainbow is a very strong theme in this film. Yes, ram- rainbow is a strong theme with different meanings than you would yeah. equate with normally yeah. today. Yeah. But, so he wasn't exactly innocent. He was game, I think. Or point. We, being we'll stupidly know. naive. I think he knows there's there's a quality about Dr. Bill. Yeah. That is uh, – he knows, but he likes to play naive because I think he likes the attention. And he the does. praise. And, it, and it's kind of the cliche tracking shot of Tom Cruise in the middle and a girl, a beautiful woman on each arm walking yes. before he gets called up to the scene. Anyhow, Nicole call, or, or Alice, we'll call her, calls him out on that. What were you what were you doing with those two? Did you want to fuck them? Mm. And she does say the word fuck, doesn't she? Yes, yeah, she does use the word. But uh, And he's taken aback by that. Even though – and he's high. You have to keep in mind – Perhaps you have not had this experience, <laughs> um, <laughs> depending, depending on where and who you are and what you're into. But but everything is becomes a little bit more pronounced and horrific if you if you're in a um, an altered state of consciousness. Let me just put it that way. It, she gets mad at him. His response is, "Of course not." Yeah. And it, does she ask him like, "Why not?" or "Why?" Yes. Why Why wouldn't you? What stopped you? Yes, what and stopped you? he says, what stopped me, I I love you, I'm married to you, and I believe she counters or parries with what makes you think I wouldn't, and he says, because we're married, and I trust you, and you're the mother of my, my daughter, and she gets very angry at this. Very angry. Says, Aha! So it's not a doesn't have anything to do with your desires internally. It has to do with your perception of who I am. So you could have those desires, but you're not going to admit to them. You're just going to project all of that onto me and what I represent in your life. Millions of years of ev- evolution, and it comes down to what did she say? Yeah. Yes, it's like your men are, are are genetically predisposed to stick it in any hole that they can possibly stick it in and but women it's about you know the community and domesticity and family security. and all that other security and all that bullshit and he thinks for a moment glassy eyed he really does look stoned and says that's about right yes i'm but there are exceptions <laughs> i have sympathy for you tom 
Dr. Bill, I understand because I'm I do. stoned right along with you and I, I'm not following this argument, but oh, wait yeah. a minute. I did get that. But you're but moving when she, your mouth. I see that it's important. So. <laughs> when she got pissed and she went there, I'm like, oh, okay. I know that argument. Yes. I, yes, I know that. I do. That's when you bow out. And, yes, I get that uh, argument. And uh, and she she's not getting the reaction. He, he says he's the exception. Of course, you know, millions of years of evolution, but there are exceptions. And she wants to know, why are you the exception? And and he says all of the nice things, the appropriate things, which pisses her off even, even more. more. So, so she says, do you remember last summer when we were at Cape Cod? And do you remember the naval officer we, we saw in the, in the dining room? And he doesn't remember any of this. But she goes on and on about this naval officer she had never met but had seen at some resort at Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. And she tells her husband that she was willing at that moment to leave her child, leave her life, leave him for just a, a fleeting moment of, of pure lust with this naval officer. I, d- I don't buy that. For one night? No, no I, I think she was saying it to get a bigger response. But yeah. She wasn't getting much of a response from him. I would have so had to raise it. basically checked it all just to fuck this guy for one night. All night long, whatever. Yeah. But but I think she wants a bigger response yes. than she's getting because he's just stoned. Well, he's also <laughs> stunned. Stoned and stunned. She said, though, that how that conversation closes is um, that next day she goes, I remember looking for him, kind of yeah. wanting to see him, not wanting to see him. I was terrified that he was if he was going to be there or if yeah. he wasn't. And then when I realized by the evening that he was gone – I felt relief. Isn't that what she, she says? Goes, yes, I felt relief. And you think the argument's going to go on. She, first, Then she bursts into laughter, and he says, oh, now we're into the laughing fit stage of, of the pot smoking. Okay. And and she's doubled over. And we linger on that for some minutes, don't we, mm-hmm. the camera, Kubrick? And I liked what he did with the camera there. Limber. <laughs> yes, I do too. It went down with her. Yes. And she's just on her knees and sort of just just really having a a giggle fit, pot-induced giggle fit. And they're about to get into it again when the phone rings and interrupts them. And uh, somebody they know has died, and he informs Alice of this. It's one of his patients. It's one of his patients. Lou Nathanson died. And we get the impression that he was sort of doing home hospice. Yes, uh, or had been ill for quite some time because I I have to, and that's the sort of the level of service he's giving. So that that spoke concierge to me because yes. I have oh, to oh, go before over. Before we get to that, she does call him. She sit on it because this is kind of important for this house call that he does make. She says, "Aren't you ever tempted when you're touching your patient's breasts? Are you not thinking about things? All of these women who are naked in front of you and you're grabbing your, you know." Breasts, and he says, "No, I'm not thinking. That's the last thing on my mind." And they're worried about something, and, and we believe him in the moment, don't we? Because that makes sense. Yes, logical. we do. But he makes this house call, and one of his elderly patients has has died. Yeah, he's gone for the rest of the night. After you know what? This. I'm, I forgot the taxi drive because this is a recurring vignette in his mind. Yes. Now that now that Alice has painted this portrait of this naval officer, we get almost what did they used to call them? Nudie cuties. This yeah. almost uh, blue the pornographic. <laughs> um, Just put a dime in, put a quarter yeah, in, Yeah. watch uh, it a little okay. more. So in his mind, this vignette of, of 
of his wife and this naval officer doing the deed. Yes. That's exactly – that's a great get by you. Thank you. And and this is a recurring bit of footage. And I did hear that she had some trouble with that, and she needed to play music, special music. Okay. <laughs> during during those scenes. Yeah. He goes off to Nathanson, and, and it, another palatial castle in yes. the sky. <laughs> yes. The uh, the housekeeper, uh, I don't know, somebody under the employee. Ro Rosa, I believe her name was Rosa, answers Rosa. the door. Oh, good call. And she says he's he's in his bedroom. And at first, he seems to know his way, and I'm a little curious about that. And it takes me a while to connect the dots that, okay, he's one of the house call patients, a regular. I, I, I'm I always struck by the he, – he walks, again, honeycomb rooms and squares within rectangles yeah. and things. Yeah. And uh, he, he takes turn, turns, turns, and then he's in front of a door. But he doesn't walk in. He knocks, which yes. I found interesting. Yes. He's very polite, very well-mannered. He knocks lightly three times, and the gentleman's daughter answers. Her name is Marion, I believe. Marion, yeah. Marion. Yes. Yes. Who looks a little bit like she could be Nicole Kidman's sister. I'm looking at her very closely during this scene. Yes. Sort of she does. Just the blonde hair and the thin and uh, kind of looks like Nicole Kidman. And she's, you know, kind of falling apart, of course, because her, her father has just passed. And he says the nice things. He does all the things. He walks over to the dead person in the bed, Mr. Nathanson. Yeah. Bows his head a little bit. Gets up, you know, for like the 20 seconds or whatever. Yes. <laughs> and then... He turns politely. She tell, offers him to sit, which is strange. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a little, you know, I don't know, sitting area. A little, little seating arrangement. Two, little seating arrangement. And here I wondered if it was Kubrick's gallows humor coming through a bit because they're having this conversation. There's a dead guy in the background line on this. I bed. got that too. Just how ludicrous yeah. this is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very absurdist. And – he he asks her how she's holding up, and she says she mentions that her boyfriend. What's his name? Carl. 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 She she has an accent as well. I don't know what her accent is, but she talks about her boyfriend coming and that he's taken a post as a math professor in Michigan somewhere. He says, says math teacher, and she says he's a math professor. Yes, she corrects him. <laughs> just a teacher, a math professor. Who has and just accepted a job at University of Michigan. <laughs> Yes. He says, "Oh well, that'll be good for you." Like I don't know what how he knows, what what he will, says will be good this for her. D oh man, just like the the cheesiest remarks, but yes, he's great at making small talk. That that is he a is. skill. He's got the bedside <laughs> manner that you want in a you know, in a concierge doctor, I suppose. And then, out of nowhere, she kisses him. And declares her her undying love for him. I and love I, you. I'm wondering what. I at, at probably the first couple the first time I saw the film I probably was felt very awkward about it. Yeah. And uh, when I watched it again recently, and but the third time I thought that is that was really a tremendous uh, acting job. 
by her yes. because she yes. all of a sudden tears well up and it is um it's a classic display of uh the hero worship that happens with people in the medical field that's exactly what yeah. what what happens and transference um, hero worship uh god doctor all of that going on her grief uh a change is coming to to michigan new york city so she she and he slowly tries to let her know that her grief is talking but i think he's pleased anyhow good point yeah i hadn't thought about that sam i think he is i think he finds it gratifying because everybody in new york city basically loves him it seems his clientele (laughs) love him yeah yes he's he's loved on Uh, we're saved by the bell again right yeah carl shows up Carl looks like a math professor, you know. He's got everything but the Tweety. Played by oh, Thomas Gibson. Who okay. uh, he? Do we know him from anything else? He was in um, uh, Criminal Criminal Minds. Yeah. Oh, here he is. He played Hutch. Is it Hutch in Criminal Chicago Minds? Chicago Hope. Could this be the same person? Darman yes. Greg. I do know Darman. Darman and Greg. Greg. Yeah, he was the husband of Darman Greg, and then he was on oh, Criminal gosh. Minds forever and. I think now he's on Chicago Hope, but yeah, I mean he's had a pretty successful career. I did not recognize him as Greg from Darman Greg. Yeah, he was Greg and Darman Greg. He <laughs> enters, and that puts an end to the uh, I love you. professions of love and and demurring and all that sort of thing. We know that he's just been obsessing over this little nudie cutie uh, scenario in his mind uh, with Nicole Kidman, and also her pointed question: Do you ever have? little flings or, or feelings for your patients. And he does say to Marion, we, you don't know me. We've never had more than a couple of conversations and always about your father. So he, he does seem to be, you know, on the straight and narrow, I, I guess. He's he, truly shocked, uh, yeah. I think, a little bit. But also, mm-hmm. like you said, a, a little pleased. As he's walking out, you can tell he's yeah. pleased with himself. Yeah. Um, Later Spring when you see him, step. yeah. Later when you see him on the street, though, and and that that real black and white reel is playing in his head of his yeah. wife now uh, proffering her um, backside. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what <laughs> that's what's happening in his mind. There's uh, kind of a vignette effect, isn't there? In my mind, there is almost like like the peephole peephole uh, movies. You see him just kind of take his fist and punch his hand. He's yeah. when he thinks about it, he gets angry about it. Yes, yes, he does. And he rounds this that is... corner before he encounters yeah. the woman. He encounters the group of hooligans. Oh yeah! Oh my like, god! He's just walking along, very in a, in a beautiful black. It looks like Armani suit. It's really nice. And a group of youths are coming the other direction. Maybe I don't know what ten of them about 18, 19, 20 years old. And then as they pass him, they begin to sling epithets at him, homophobic epithets. And for no particular reason, why? I don't know. Other than he's very nicely dressed and... Um, Good-looking guy. A, a well-groomed guy, and they look like they're working-class youths, hooligans. Who's uh, been to, who've been to, uh, I don't know, their keg. 
been at their keg. Or a nudie show or some, or some sort of thing down in the, the village. But, but it did make me wonder, not during my viewing of this film, but maybe afterward, did that also add to his need to, I don't know what, consummate this this fantasy of his or his revenge fantasy or whatever it is he's cultivating because of his wife's confession about this naval officer. I find it interesting that there seems to be this notion that the working class uh, looks upon the educated, the well-groomed male as, as being effeminate. Yeah. How, somehow that makes a man effeminate. And also, they're in the village. What the yeah. hell? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> They scream, go back to San Francisco. Why not? You're in the wrong part of New York City, jackass. Go down and (laughs) go down to, you know, Times Square. Well, well, by then, pretty much Times Square had been cleared out. So, but yeah, yeah, you're in the wrong place. Go to Jersey, guys. So the irony there wasn't lost on me. It was Mm. interesting. But I did wonder, did he feel emasculated by that? I'm sure. Yes, I, I think that's. That's but visually, we're not given any cues of, of any sort. He, he then, is that when he meets Fred Yes, Lincoln? that's when he yes. meets Domino. And she kind of reminded me of Julie Christie from Dr. Zhivago for some reason. <laughs> she did. She did have that, that kind she of look. She had the look. fur hat and the thing going on. And she's beautiful, and her name's Domino. And she just seems really wholesome and winsome, but she happens to be a sex worker. And she... And, she obviously clocked him as a you know, well-to-do person. And, and walking alone. And uh, Walking alone. Uh, she's definitely wise because she picked out a, a very wealthy potential customer. Who I don't know. She must have, be a good judge of character. Would you like to come inside with me? And he says, yeah. would I like to come inside with you? There's a lot of that, Beth, isn't there? Yeah, there's like a lot the of repeating that. of the questions. Yeah. Do you know what you're doing? Do I know what I'm doing? And Do some innuendo, yeah. you know, or double entendre with the yeah. what I like to come inside with you, what I like to come inside with you. Yeah. So they go into her apartment and the conversation. Wait, wait, big red doors, red, red, red again, yes. red alert. Just besotted with red every single time yes. he's yeah. walking through the village. Yes. And uh, they walk through her kitchen and it's a, you know, small New York apartment and well-used, obviously, kitchen with frying pan. And she says, may it stay off or something like that. And there's an awkward pause because there's that stilted kind of dialogue. And they, he asks if they should take care of the money part of the arrangement. And she says, sure. And it's, what, 150 I think? It's, it, she says, what do you want to do? And then he goes, what would you re- recommend? Like he's ordering something <laughs> like, in, a, like from, in a restaurant. From the menu. <laughs> <laughs> what do you recommend? Just a chef's recommendation. <laughs> just to demonstrate how um, awkward he is. Yeah. Yeah. Which, as the sex worker, would make me feel at ease. Like, okay, he doesn't. He doesn't do this a lot. He doesn't get around a lot. And, and he asks her to describe the things, and she says, "I'd, I'd rather not say. Let me show you. I'd rather just not leave put it, it into words." Which I thought I like was an odd that. response. Like, why not just say it? Unless she thinks that's going to kill his mood. Yeah. Which is savvy of her. It is. 150. And they go into, the, go into the bedroom, and I think we get a one of the – there are a lot of weird dissolves that I consider a little bit dated, but obviously Kubrick does things on purpose or did things on purpose. 
he uses a lot of fade to black and dissolves. And uh, I guess we've we've grown out of our breeches now. Old hat. She she gives him the price and he goes, "That sounds wonderful." Yes. <laughs> he doesn't even know what he's getting, but it's wonderful. And uh, they they begin to kiss, and then his cell phone rings, and. He, he sort of gives her the cue to, you know, don't say anything, please. She knows. She's a, she's a pro. And it's Alice saying, when are you coming home? It's taking you so long. And he lies to her and says, it's taking longer than I thought. He tells her he's still at the deceased's home. Deceased? De- how can I say that? Deceased's the home. The deceased's home. And more relatives are expected, so it's going to take a lot longer. But this phone call... Domino is is the woman's name, the woman he's with, and she says, "Is that Mrs. Doctor Bill?" And he says, "Yes," and that breaks his spell a little bit, doesn't it? He can't he can't go through with it, and yeah. he resolves to. He, they come they both come to the conclusion, like I I can't do this. She goes, yeah. "Okay," but then he's like, "I want to pay you anyway." And she goes, "No, really," and he's like, "No, no." Thank you. And so he hands her the $150 as if that's a lot, of, I guess, in 99 that was. But yeah, but, um, but they're very decent and and it's very humane treatment of a subject that could be treated worse. It could be treated worse. I found it interesting there are when they argue, when he and Alice argue over the, the during the pot conversation. He says, "I because I would never do this. I, I I love you. I'm your husband. I would never lie to you." And yep. he lies. This is and really his this, first then. lie. That's yeah. We don't know if it's his first lie. It's been nine well, years. Well, as we're watching, you know. Yeah. Like, do we do we think that this new image that she's conjured up for him is just something that broke him after being a perfect spouse for nine years? I don't know. No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think that. I think there's a. In fact, I think that the end of the film kind of makes that point that you're making. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he he does leave Dom, Domino, and he pays her, and uh, he walks back out, and he's he's sort of uh, I don't know serendipitously happens upon the Sonata Jazz Club where his friend Nick Nightingale plays a gig. Is that what's next? It's called Sonata Sonata Cafe. And I thought that cafe. was a, also a play on words. It's not a cafe. It's not a cafe. It's not a cafe. <laughs> I didn't think of that. It's not a cafe. It's not a. Fa- it's not a cafe. <laughs> and, yeah, and it's a great jazz group. But he's coming in just as the last set is ending. He sits down, orders a beer, and uh, and then sort of waves Nick over because they're just finishing finishing their set. And I'd love to go to a jazz club like this. By the way, Beth. Very cozy. Oh, I'm thinking of uh, the closest thing I've ever had to experiencing a, a jazz combo like like this. This wasn't a com- was it a combo? Yeah, I guess it was. A trio. A trio. Yeah. Um, O'Hara's over in Palm Beach, which burned down, um, but back in the day. Seemed to laugh. Um, wasn't there something near Clematis in that old area? I thought there was might a have been, involved. but O'Hara's comes to mind, and that place. Yeah. Had, it was a scene yeah. when when they were not burned down <laughs> in, the, <laughs> well, yeah. in the mid in the mid 80s there uh, yeah. before they burned down mid to 
Like the late 80s. I'm trying yeah. to think of when the fire was. It's kind of a big deal. It made the post and everything. And it was a landmark bar wow. for the longest time. But, uh, yeah, no more jazz combo. But that was great. That was classic stuff that they were playing. Yeah. I don't so. know. There's something about the jazz, old old school jazz, you know, and not that acid jazz. And uh, the little lights on the little tables and the dark setting, and it's all very, I don't know, visually lush to me. It's it's. It's great if you've ever experienced a, a club like that. People are there just there for the mood, the music, and you'll run into the sexiest people there. <laughs> it's just damned civilized is what I want to say. So damn good. Yeah. yeah. So, so Nick comes over, and I can't think of who Nick reminds me of. We, we've covered him before, but he just reminds me of somebody. Just cut that out. That's just a personal thought. Uh, he he has a little bit of the Ed Norton thing going on. That's he exactly so. That's it. Thank he you. Also reminded me. I kept looking at now. Who is he? Who plays him? Oh, let's see if I can get this. Let's see. Nick Nightingale, portrayed by Todd Field, and we have seen him on in many other things, but. He also had in his face, his eyes remind me of a very young Victor Buono, who I uh, I think I mentioned um, when we were doing uh, during Halloween month, during yeah. October, uh, for the uh, the film The Evil. He plays the devil, oh, plays Satan okay. in The Evil. You did mention that. I did not know the film. And but... Victor Buono, uh, he was on. He was a character actor. Was on Batman. He was on a bunch of TV shows. Yeah, you but... gave him a special call out. I, I do yeah. remember that. But he looks in his eyes a lot like a a very young and trim Victor Buono. Trim, very trim. Yeah, but I get the Ed Norton mm -hmm, vibe that too. strongly from him, and he's very self-deprecating and a good pianist, obviously. And he's sitting down with with Dr. Bill. He's glad Bill has come to his show. And they start to make small talk, and then Nick Nightingale informs Bill that he has another gig to go to beginning at 2 a.m. in the morning. Bill's kind of taken aback, like, wow, you start another gig at 2 in the morning? That's that's wild. Where is it? And Nick says he can't – he doesn't know. He, do, he never knows about this, I guess, recurring gig that's always at a different venue until an hour before he's called into it and he plays blindfolded yeah because that's the he's how do you n not know or he just goes i'm blindfolded yeah they blindfold and me he's gobsmacked right bill's what you play and he says well one time the blindfold wasn't quite on properly and i could see all of these beautiful women he's, he's like the things i saw and the women there's like he a two-parter to that answer. The things yeah. I saw and the women. And so Bill is intrigued. Bill's He's definitely in. intrigued. And uh, he gets a call right on cue on his cell phone, and he grabs his pen and a cocktail napkin, and he writes down the word Fidelio. Bill is really intrigued now because he discovers through Nick that this is a password. You need a password to get into this special party, even if you're the talent, I guess. He, he's like, it, all I could imagine is Dr. Bell's like, 
He's blindfolded. He can't believe what he's seen. The yeah. women. You need a secret password. And he's like, I gotta check this out. And he, yes. he makes a. He sort of asks Nick. He's like, I'll tell you what. <laughs> How about um, I follow you? But Nick's response is. Yeah, his his face becomes very serious, and he says, "No, absolutely not. Nope, nope, nope." And but now, Bill has enough information. He knows it's going to be a, it's a costume ball. I, I think Nick tells him, "You wouldn't, you'd never get in. Yeah, he not tells dressed him. appropriately. There's no no way you can get in." But he takes it upon himself. He's really intrigued, and and Nick goes his way, I guess, and and Bill searches for costume shop at we presume around midnight or one in the morning or so nick tells him like his parting words to Do dr bill are where are you going to get a costume at this hour of the morning so it's actually yes. after midnight yes and uh, but the, we see dr bill we see rainbow costumes and rainbow has a different connotation in in, in this film doesn't it well, I, I don't know what the scholars say about and the symbologists. Oh, no, no, no. But, um, but obviously the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, the, the mystery at the end of the rainbow, it's not gay pride that they're – No, it's not here. gay pride. Uh, there's been something. some sort of reference to mind control. Rainbow is a symbol oh. of uh, – some sort of symbolism of mind control yeah. in like modern urban legend lore. So. Okay. Oh, I, I did not know that. Only on the third watch through did I get his scam. I, I understood he was scamming the owner of the costume shop. What I didn't realize is that as a physician, he actually knew this gentleman that owned this cost rainbow costumes. Yeah. And he he says rainbow fashions. He's he rings the bell and he goes, "Is Peter Grenig there?" Yeah. And and Millich, the new owner. Of the costume shop. Uh, hold on, we have to pause because he's quite the character, isn't he? Apparently, the actor who plays Millich is a big deal. He's uh, is he a Croatian? Yes, he's a Croatian actor. Rada Serbadja. Rada Serbadja. Croatian and actor and director and musician. He is known for his portrayals of imposing figures on both sides of law. He was one of the best known Yugoslav actors in the 70s and the 80s. Was I have is. Oh. Okay, was in the – so he's with us still. Yes, huh? yes. Okay. They're talking about the but, 70s and 80s. But I note that he was in Mission Impossible 2, and that came out in 2000, so the very next year. So Tom must have really liked working with him. Certainly he has a bigger-than-life presence in this film. It's one of the it's, – it's absolute comedic relief here with this – particular scenes. Well, yes and no. It's kind of horrifying, too. <laughs> yes and no. And for initially, sort of comedic. Yeah. Uh, they bargain uh, a little bit. He's behind... He, it's one of those situations where the shop is on the ground floor and he lives in the apartment above the shop. Millich is the one that answers and he's like, no, he's been gone for a year. It's my place yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he comes in. He makes him a deal. Yes. He says, I'll give you 100 over the rental price for the inconvenience. And Millich says, no, 200. Bill says, okay. He says, okay. okay, then we do business. <laughs> and do business. <laughs> yeah. Going to the shop, and it's a weird shop, isn't it? Well, it looks like he rents tuxes and maybe uh, gowns and things like that. And, and But also he has he has mannequins fully dressed. Yeah, that looks 
And he says, they're very lifelike, right? And so my mind goes to, I wonder if they do real shows here, if there's there's maybe theater that goes on there as well. Interesting, yeah. But before the and, and Tom Cruise, we don't know how he knows what, what kind of masquerade costume <laughs> he should get. But <laughs> I wanted to... Like I find that uh, very, at first, found that very problematic. I d- I did too. Like, like how he he tells him as a pirate or is I'm gonna need. <laughs> <laughs> He's told by Viking Nick Nightingale. <laughs> Nick Nightingale. It's a costume. Everyone's in costume. Everyone's yeah. in costume. Where are you gonna find a costume? So yeah. how does he tells Millet? She's like, um, he's like rubbing his hands together. I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need a tuxedo, a cloak with a hood, and a mask. Yes. Now, how does he know that that's, yeah. you know, and that's de rigueur for for this particular venue? We find well, out. Well, he does. So how does he? <laughs> Melich is like, are you sure you don't want a blue cloak, red, yeah. something colorful? Yes. <laughs> and then. And then weird scene. Weird, and yeah, like a knocking noise. This, a knocking noise, and Millich goes over. What the hell is happening? Into sort of a front window cabinet area, and uh, two men of Asian extraction in various stages of undress leap up, looking horrified. And then a young Lily Sobieski, how does she say? Lily Sobieski. I always just say Sobieski, uh, who, when this film came out. She was, and I don't know, she was pretty young. Yeah. I want to say maybe uh, not even 20 years old yet. She had to be under 20. I mean, uh, I mean, she's she was always youthful looking. Maybe 15, 16, 1983. She was 15 in Eyes Wide Shut. That, that checks. And the reason why mm-hmm. that checks is she, at the same year, um, two Joan of Arcs came out. The film Joan of Arc with Mila. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, help me with her last name. I can't say her name. Yep. <laughs> and I love her. I, I love, love her Jehovah so. Jehovah Witness. <laughs> Mila Jehovah Witness. Mila Jovovich. Jovovich. <laughs> I hear it. <laughs> Mila Jovovich. Okay. Let's say that again. Okay, so two Joan of Arc projects come out. One is in film, Mila Jovovich, mm-hmm. in the film version. Lili Sobieski does... The uh, there was a, a very very well received production on TV, and I think it won some Globen Globen <laughs> Golden Golden Globe awards. Golden Globens. I, I think it was, and, and I watched. Globins. I saw both. <laughs> I saw both. Both were excellent. I prefer yeah. the film version because of Mila. But I mean, she, I've only seen the Mila version. Uh, the the television version was was very good. She was supposed Wasn't to be. Was she in some sort of remake of Lolita or something like that with Jeremy Irons? Too? That I don't know, but yeah, she was supposed to be the 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 next big thing. Yeah, Lily Sobieski. I think her downfall was everyone kept comparing her to Helen Hunt. Like, oh, it's but it's she, a younger version of Helen Hunt. Much younger though. Much younger and much better. By now, Helen Hunt's like <laughs> in her mid thirties. Yeah, super young. I don't know what her last project was, so I. I, I think her last it. film was in um, 2016, and it looks yeah. like she's done some uh, sort of indie stuff. And I, I do know that there are some actors that they're just drawn to doing indie. Yeah. And that was in 2016, and I, she's also done television too. 
I mean, she was supposed to she was supposed to hit it big, and um, that that didn't really um, happen. Oh, it says she has an art career as well. Maybe she. Oh, well, there's that too. She paints and sculpts ab- abstract work. Work. And we see that with Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey's like chucked entertainment altogether. He yeah. wants to just focus right. on painting. I would like to see Lily Sobieski's lead. Mm. It's interesting. Look it up, folks. Okay. She says painting was always my goal. Former actress Lily Kimmel. She goes by now. K I M M E L. Do you think? I, do you think she's married to one of Jimmy Kimmel's? Oh. Do you Sibs or something? I don't know. May, yeah, that's what I was wondering. It's really interesting art, though. Very carnal, but abstract. I like it. Uh, now that you mention that, I need to mention Laurel Holloman, uh, known mm-hmm. for the, you know L word fame, is quite an accomplished artist. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, she's... did she chuck one for the other? Also? Yes. It, it, now she's back with the reboot of L word, but okay. I mean that's that that's her thing, and I'm. She is uh, collectible. Oh, that um, must be satisfying. Considered to very talented. Get your earnings, get bank on something, and then do what you really want to do once you've done that. Yes, we lost Lisa Whiskey as a as a an actor. <laughs> We've gone off on a tangent, but we have. I don't we? care. Oh my in god! A, a large scale. I'd love any of this. Did this film make you feel inadequate in terms of? your home decor and having original artwork because it made me feel that way. Oh, well, I found myself looking at it. um, It is funny that you brought that up. When I was looking at their apartment, I thought, wow, I really like that. And I thought, no. Now looking back at it, it's like this is very Pottery Barn 1999. Uh I didn't get that feeling. Oh, I definitely got Pottery Barn 1999. Well, the florals were a bit much, but but some of it was very interesting, and I liked the large spaces of art. I'm just – Going, going by their apartment, not the yeah. other palatial residences. Now the look is is so. Um, what's now is minimalist, mid-century, yeah. but minimalism also. Yeah. With updated angles of like sort of Danish modern and mid-century, yeah. and the curves and the lines of that, but very updated, updated materials. What was but also minimalist. Floral fusion or something? I don't know. Mm. I wasn't part of that scene, so I don't know. But it was pleasing to me and made me feel inadequate, so it achieved its goal. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't made it. I don't know. Oh, where did we leave off? <laughs> I don't know. Good Lord, we got it. I don't want to oh, edit any of that speak. out, though. There's a lot of that I where I don't want to edit it. that out. I don't out. care. Uh, so Tom Cruise. Someone please try and get a world Solomon painting. I would like one. Thank you. It would go very nice in my living And I want a Lee Kimmel paint. And that, okay. that's all we have to say about that. That's all Maybe. we – yep. Maybe. <laughs> so so in the middle of this exchange where Dr. Bill's going to buy his, his masquerade costume, this ruckus, these two men jump up uh, half naked. And then young Lee Sobieski slash I – don't, I don't know if he names his daughter. He says, my daughter, you whore, you whore. Oh, there and, is and a begins, name. What does he call is her? There? No, it just says Milich's daughter. Yes. I thought he called her he says, name. This is my daughter. What are you doing? He you did. Whore, he called her whore. whore. <laughs> he's, he's just sort of he, – he locks the two – she comes out, and she's just wearing sort of a bra and panties, and he locks the two men in this, this room, and they're screaming, and he's like, I'm going to call the police. 
But before he does that, he wants to continue with his paying transaction with Dr. Bill. Oh, yes, I'm trying to do business here. Yes, and the daughter runs right behind, up to Dr. Bill and behind him, and, and she's all come hither, and she whispers something in his ear, and now, we don't you, know what it is. You looked it up, didn't you? Take the ermine? I did look it up, and supposedly it's select the ermine, oh. the ermine fur, but he, he doesn't do that, does he? No, he does not. And, uh, he gets his goods, big big bag of goods, and <laughs> he, he's worried, you know, like what's going to happen here? But uh, I, I, he's certain, I guess, the police are going to be called, and this poor young girl has been, you know, almost uh, molested. But but the father saved the day. <laughs> but, yes. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Cut and, to yeah. uh, he's riding out there in a cab. To yes. party in Long Island. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I note that the cab fare is seventy something dollars. So I'm thinking, wow, wait, how far did he travel? I don't know. Ninety nine a cab ride. Mm. So a ways. That's cheap. I I think. Was it? By today's standards. Uh, but but it's very it, yeah. conspicuous. And even I was saying to myself, all right, he's arrived at the gates of this huge mansion. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a yellow taxi cab and everybody else probably had a driver or limo or whatever and he makes a deal and i don't think you can do this beth he says i'll, I'll see this i promised you fifty dollars on top of the fare which i'll give you but if you wait for me i'll make it a hundred and he rips the fifty dollar bill in half and says i'll give you this plus another and i don't think you can tape together the fifty dollar bill, can you, Beth? I think, I yeah, you can actually. I think. Really? I don't know. Still uh, good. I interpreted it as dick move. Yeah. Because he tells him he's like, uh, I know I promised you fifty dollars if you'd if you'd uh, wait. No, no. I know I promised you fifty dollars to get me out here or something like that. On top but, of the fare. Yeah. Yes, but if you wait, I will give you. And he rips it in half. And hands yeah. it to him. Keep the meter running. I'll pay whatever's on the meter. Just wait for me. Uh, I might be an hour. I might be ten minutes. But if yeah. you wait, you get a hundred bucks on top of the fare. Cab driver shrugs, says, "Okay, okay, good deal." So Tom Cruise. It's to not a good deal. He's a total dick. He should have just handed him the fifty. And said he, he should have, but he wants it. But he's leaving his things also, which is a stupid move. We learn later. He's he leaves his dick. possessions on the back seat, he's and he, a dick. you know, so the cab driver knows that he'll be back for that stuff. Mm. Goes to the gate, this imposing gate, and I forget where this. It looks like an actual castle, and it is somewhere in Europe. I forget where. You can't you can't see it from like the gate in America because no, we'll drive you up to the house. Yes, and one wonders how the rest of the cars got up to it since there are drivers for, and nobody else took a cab. But okay, it's an awkward little. Interaction, isn't it? Tom Cruise walks up to the two gatekeepers, and they ask, "May I help you?" And he says, "I maybe you'd like the password." <laughs> Just he doesn't quite know how to. Okay. It. You're you're so much more forgiving of of this character than I am. <laughs> he just <laughs> saunters up there and goes, "Well, I guess you want the password, <laughs> Fidelio." Yes. Yes, sir. Fine. We'll Thank drive you. you to the house. Drive you to the house. Takes him up to the front of the house. Now, mind you, he's he's got his overcoat on, but he, no one's masked at this point, so I understand. Yeah, so they're all seeing his face anyhow. This didn't occur to me till late, much later, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. 
He's just so fucking bold and stupid. <laughs> he's just fucking he's, bold and stupid. He's curious. He's curious. Okay, he's heard these nicks. And he, he also thinks maybe there's an ally, which he's endangering, by the way, mm-hmm. inside there, a nick. And so he gets into the sort of foyer area. And is, he puts on the mask then? He, he does after the gentleman gets password. He goes, Fidelia. Yes. Yes, sir. Right this way. And that's when he, he dons on his – they take his coat. They offer to take yeah. his coat, and then he yes. puts on the mask and the fucking cloak. I don't know and why I'm so irritated by There are irritated no name tags or anything on the coats. How do they get the right coat? The right How it's just... does he know? <laughs> <laughs> he walks in to this chamber, this grand yeah. chamber. Yes. <laughs> and, and there's liturgical music playing. Yes, liturgical it, – the it, interesting note about the music, it's uh, yeah. the uh, Eastern Orthodox lit- yeah. liturgy, but round, uh, played backwards, yes. incorporated into the, yeah. Yeah, I read it like, <laughs> It's actually was, pleasing to my, and there's, also some, there's some Indian fare in there as well, sacred Indian music. It's kind of a melange of different, maybe that's when he's walking to the house, and then when he gets into the house, the liturgical, I'm not sure. It sounds uh, very creepy. It does have that weird vowel sound at the beginning of the chant yeah. that made me think, okay, this is this is something being run backwards because it it has that same sort of. I didn't notice that Beth until I read it. What what gave it away for you? So you knew? I see. I didn't. I just thought it just sounded okay, like um, listening to Stairway to Heaven uh, back backwards. Yeah. There's, there's a but I think you were right, though, that it was Eastern Orthodox for real. And I guess – who's the score? Somebody Pook? It's Pook. Jocelyn. Jocelyn, Jocelyn. Pook. Yeah. This is playing this interesting chanty-type music. And set the scene, Sam. What's it look like as he walks out it to the grand like, hall? It looks like something very Lovecraftian out, out of Dunwich Horror. Is that what it's called? Um uh, there's it's sort of a either satanic or skewed Catholic kind of ceremonial thing going on. Everybody there's there's a crowd that's sort of uh, there watching as the master of ceremonies, cloaked in red with a red mask, and uh, is chanting and making these incantations oh, as a circle of women surround him <laughs> and variously kneel or stand whenever he smacks his cane on the floor. And they're all masked, and we see sort of at the conclusion of this ceremony that they're they're all lovely women, they're all nude, uh, and they're all masked in in some way. And these are sort of Venetian masks, I guess you would call them. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, it. I don't know how to describe them. Not, you know, funny. Well, I guess some of them are. Some of them like are plague masks. And, yeah, I would. And doctors, you know. I I think uh, grotesque masks. Yeah, Venetian was a great way to describe it. Something you would see at, during carnival time, like back in the Renaissance, probably. Yeah. Was but, that. but you see grotesqueness in the mask, yes. in the types of masks among the, I guess, the viewers, the audience. But for the, the ladies standing in the circle for this special ceremony, they're all just sort of blank, placid Venetian masks. And some have headdress on as well, and some don't. But notably, somebody has a special headdress on, and I, I pegged her right away as important. But otherwise, they're they're all very similar in body type and beautiful, and seem to be committing to something. 
or being inducted in some way. It screamed black mass to me, <laughs> something yeah. sort of satanic about it, but it's, it's not. Uh, you do wonder when you're looking like, what the hell is going on? It's a, it's remarkable how he knew to wear the exact costume. Yeah, the exact same, blending right in. Yeah. Although this third time watching it, I'm like, wait a minute, maybe maybe there's something symbolic here that yeah. Kubrick is trying to convey. Uh, that he's my, just like them in a way. He, yeah, and he's looking up. There, there's sort of the galley area and it's sort of a theater in the round with this ceremony taking place in the middle. And somebody on an upper floor looks, you know, looks at him and does the sup man it's, <laughs> nod. You know? I call him tricorn hat. The tricorn it's, hat. And this made me think of Amadeus. It did make me think of Amadeus. Yes. Yeah, there's and, that. And I'll, I'll tell you how that comes up again to me. And I wondered if Cooper maybe had, was influenced by that a little bit. I don't know. There's that little head nod. This also I found like absolutely ridiculous. Like the, he is just so stupidly bold. He, he's just stupid. Not, he, I mean, <laughs> he acknowledges him. He nods him like, "Yeah, I'm supposed to be here." That's like if he if he had made eye contact with you the safe yeah. thing to do would be just to avert your eyes yes but and he gives the focus on the ceremony he and gives we don't the know nod if the back man up up top is giving the i've marked you nod or the you're okay nod. yeah yeah he he is not dr bill <laughs> he is not for all of his uh charm he just is oblivious to how to his vulnerabilities i guess yeah he, he is he he doesn't know and and we're told later that he's out of his depth but he doesn't yet realize it and so there he's come in on the tail end of this ceremony uh, a ring of ladies with this sort of i don't know priest type person uh, giving the blessing of lust or whatever <laughs> and then ceremonially the ladies each turn uh, one at a time to the lady to the right, give a, a kind of ceremonial mask kiss. kiss. Yes. Yes. And then they rise one by one. The the master of ceremonies, you know, clamps. What is that thing called? <laughs> Slams his staff down his in front staff, of each of yeah. them. His staff. And then each of these ladies goes out and selects somebody to be with. Which is confusing to me because things are already happening in the house. But Okay. Maybe it, this is it. it made I, – I had several questions about yeah. all of this, like the third watch through. You, you had pointed out all the women are very um, – almost identical in type, body yeah, type. Long-waisted, uh, maybe a B-cut breast, um, small, round buttocks. And Non-existent buttocks with some of them. Yes, um, and all white. Or to too. the point where the, I almost felt like the – um, the second watch through when I was watching it, that uh, maybe the the scale that he was uh, filming at, almost there was a distortion. They they seem anamorphic thing was yeah there? maybe um but there there seems to be almost this this body distortion. There's they seem exceptionally long. What I really my real thought was these are, these are the Victoria's Secret models. Uh, Victoria's Secret models, I think, are pretty petite, though. These are are well, the the central woman, uh, who comes to 
are idiot they may boys be tall, aid. But they're narrow, you know. Very, very slender women of a mm-hmm. type. Uh, if you think about it, very similar in build to Alice, Nicole Kidman. Yes. Very long, very trim. Yes. But they're a little more, how shall I say, curvy than, than Nicole Kidman. I'm not sure. But but yeah, I see what you mean. Yes, there is a physical type for women who are desired. Yes. And they're all the same. <laughs> and the, uh, they're they're... And the people that are watching them are all the same, and it's it's very um, male gazy, self consciously. So, yes, but it is kind of that kind of party, you know. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> That's why it's a secret, I guess. And but but this one woman in a sort of feathery headdress and her mask and and high heels and nothing else on, selects Tom Cruise, right away, and immediately warns him that he's in danger and that he should leave right away and he doesn't belong there. Dr. Bill, are you in danger, girl? <laughs> Get out. Get out. And But what happens? I think somebody interrupts them. You see how uh, compared to the other masks, his is almost a cherubic, almost an appearance, very youthful-looking It's gold. Mask. And yes, I, I can see it's sort of, yeah, almost true, but without the sort of accentuated yeah. lips or anything. It's just in a placid, you know, yeah, there, blank It's expression. not necessarily grotesque, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and some of them really are grotesque, which Very, comes yes. in handy later. Yes, and he it, – it's almost – I looked at that mask compared to the other masks. It's very symbolic of his vanity. Yes, it's and, gold. It's yeah. And the way he just saunters through that place. She tries to warn him. He tries to think it's about him. They get interrupted by not Tricorn, different individual, similar. I think another woman, right? Maybe no, it was, it was another man. He said, "Oh, okay." Excuse us, and then he takes her upstairs. Oh, that's and, right. And yeah. then Doctor Bill starts moving throughout the rooms, and you're seeing the majority of individuals are just sitting around watching. There are, there are a lot of, there's a lot of sex theater going on, and I didn't – I watched what was called the uncensored version, and I did not see anything particularly graphic. I didn't see any tape. buttocks or anything. Maybe that one where they're on the table. Yeah. Uh, where, where there were like were like three different couples, or there was a, a thruple, and then a another couple, and another. <laughs> but it's um, all very decorative and lovely. You don't hear, I think, ambient noise. You don't hear sex noises or things like that, right? We just have the score over it. I'm trying to think. You just have the the score. At one point, he walks into a room that almost looks like a library or something. The tricorn man walks in. Yes. And there, there's just a few feet behind him. He has another woman with him, not a headdress woman. Mm. And you see him slowly, the tricorn man slowly turn away and walks away. And then the, the, the woman walks up and he slowly, he was aware of her presence and he slowly turns. And the courtesan is, he, I call them courtesans. They're, they're essentially yeah, courtesans yeah. of, a, of a type. His conversation is, is very, just sort of awkward. Or have you seen anything interesting? Or I forget how it. 
Have you it, enjoyed yourself? Or, yeah, have you enjoyed yourself? He's off. Found it interesting, and he, and he tries to act nonplussed, but he's he's just so awkward about it. He is. There's that stilted, you know, conversation again. Pauses between sentences, repeating questions back to the person questioning, and it's it gives you a kind of surreal feel. I mean, it's a surreal environment anyhow. Right. And again, you have all of these crimsons and crimsons against flesh tones, obviously. She asked if if he would like to go somewhere private. Yes. He said, oh. And he doesn't just say yes or no. He says private. Somewhere yes, private. 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 <laughs> there's, there's a lot of that, isn't there? And, and yeah. And and then headdress woman makes her entrance. Yes. And she just tells the other girl who I uh, apparently is beneath her in yes. status as far as the courtesans go and says, yes. can I – I'm going to borrow him for a minute. I, I will – I promise you I will bring him back. And again, it is the you need to get out of here. Yes. You're in danger. You're in danger. And it does sound over the top. Like, are you – is this part of a scheme or is this part of the show? Or And I don't, I don't think he knows. He's not quite – he doesn't feel that he's in danger. But then – He tries to I, – I noticed like this third watch through watch, to watch his hands. And he's, he's trying to grab her at the – you know, hold her at the waist. He tells her, come with me. No, I can't, you know, it would mean my life. It would, you know, she's, she's trying to really keep... over the top as you're listening yeah. to this dialogue. My, Take my off life. your mask. I can't do that either. It would be my life and yours. Mm -hmm. And they're interrupted. They are. The uh, butler, one presumes, or? Yes, the gentleman some... that uh, I think escorted him to the house. Yes, says your taxi driver needs to speak with you on urgent business. That's the ruse. And But he isn't led to the taxi driver. He's led back to that ceremonial room, and the crowds part for him, and he's confronted by the master of ceremonies. As he's notified about the cab, and he's walking through other rooms to get to that main chamber, the song that's playing is Strangers in the Night. <laughs> oh, oh, good catch. I didn't catch that. And it made me wonder, do we have – people that are assigned as courtesans are those the people that are actually just in, engaging in the sex in, in sex yeah. in the open oh. because that's what they're supposed to do because the majority if you look at all those rooms the majority of people are are clad in those costumes they are you don't see i'm, I'm trying to think the number of men who are nude are very few now there there are women um although they're um well, the one with the thruple and the, when they're on the table, yeah. I believe there were there was a woman and a woman. Uh, one oh, was yes. engaging in. But it's hard to do a lot with a mask on, is what I want to say. That's. <laughs> <laughs> just a note for any of our listeners who, uh, yeah. yeah. It's it's just just really hard. It's yeah. I could see that. I mean, I could see how the guy might. But you've lived in interesting times. Wait, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's all very uh, male gazy. And although that last that last hmm. room before he gets to the main chamber, you do see same sex couples. Uh, there, the last, in fact, the last couple you see as he makes that turn. 
yeah. is a a woman dressed in male drag with a mask on dancing with a naked woman which I, and then uh, oh, before that you saw a naked man dancing with another man who had a mask on that's interesting i i will make make one more book aside the book that i haven't read but read about uh, i did read that that scene that whole party scene was mostly just naked dancing so there wasn't all the i mean they call it an orgy but i i just think it's it's, it's sex theater people are watching it for its entertainment value yeah observing it for that's what it felt like more more than an orgy and it it did feel like that in in itself from Kubrick is some sort of a symbolic thing as well to well, sort know, of symbolize their power but that's not Kubrick's fault, the orgy talk and the, oh, this is an erotic thriller talk. Mm -hmm. That was all of the press. It yes. Couldn't quite figure out which genre this belonged to. So they were going to sell high on the sex, of course, like, ooh, big well, I, I have orgy scenes. I have something to share with you. Uh, okay. Uh, Veronica, well, we can get to it, but Veronica was um, making dinner earlier this evening, and I had – I was running through the film quickly just to get the sequence down again. Yeah. And she said, so it's kind of like a thriller. And I'm like, yeah, she could, because um, there's a scene coming up that uh, creeped her out. And I said, no, nothing bad's going to happen, just uh, just this. And she goes, well, that's bad enough in her book. Well, I'm know. curious to know which scene. I'll, I'll tell you okay. when, it come, when we come up to it. But um, she goes, oh, so it's a thriller. I'm like, yeah, that's probably the best way to classify it. It's kind of a psychological thriller type film. I'd put it in the same category, even though it's less absurd, as After Hours, mm. where you have this one crazy night. But it's a very serious film. It is. And I do think that the fact that it's it, this uh, quote-unquote orgy is not an orgy, and it is more more of a performance artistry. It is. It's more performative, and it's aesthetically pleasing. A further expression of how just how powerful these people are. Yeah. These are yeah. just puppets and models yes. for them. Yes. A lot of coin floating around. He's he's called to the ceremonial room though, and the master of ceremonies asks for the second password. He suggests that that this man, Doctor Bill, is not meant to be there, and says he must prove it by saying the second password if he's meant to be there. And there's a long, awkward pause. I, well, the second one, I, I forgot it. <laughs> and uh, then he's told to take off his mask. And he removes his mask. And he looks, and everyone's gasping and murmuring and, yeah, you know. And then he's told to take off his clothes. That, that there's a price to pay for this barging and crashing the party thing. And... He's very reluctant to do that, obviously, but we get a saved by the bell moment again, don't we? Do you want to describe that? It's all for you, Damien. You, it's at, all at, for at, you. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, half expected that, you know? <laughs> uh, headdress woman shows up on the second floor, the gallery yeah. where yeah. people we saw people gathering before. And she goes, I shall redeem him. And it's very uh, you know, dramatic and ceremonial and you're like what are they talking about redeem and he said and it's of course you understand uh, the, me the seriousness yeah. of this you know what that means red cloak guy says that and by the way if there's anyone listening to this episode 
that has seen the, the film Tales from the Crypt from 1972. <laughs> this scene just screams the crypt scene and the crypt keeper from Tales from the Crypt from 1970. Even the come forward and just the, <laughs> the, the way he addresses the, the people in the crypt, yeah. very similar to the way he's uh, the red cloak guy is speaking to uh, to Dr. Bill. And yeah, yeah. And I really did think she was going to leap to her death then and then. Like it was going to be, it's all for you, Dr. Bill. And and that would be that. And it was going to be a gory scene. But uh, he he's forgiven, I guess. or He, gets he just says, you may go. Proxy. And then somebody walks, some henchman. And he's given do. a warning, never speak of this or you will. Suffer the most. Life. The language is even ridiculous. Very archaic. Yeah. You will suffer the most dire consequence. It's like, what are you going to do to me? Harsh language? Well, that was harsh language. It, that was that was right <laughs> out of an Edward movie, truly. But, but I think that was Kubrick winking. I think he had a sense of humor in this. I do. I don't know if I. I that honestly don't sense. know if it was intended to be funny or if you were supposed to be Doctor Bill and go. I don't half believe this crap is, you know, going on. Yeah, it, it, it's almost sort of like he, he doesn't he almost, I think, does not take the threat seriously. Oh, what could happen to him? He's a doctor. He's well, you know, it's New York. What what is this? You know, he, right. he doesn't believe in it, I think. So, the, I mean, the next thing we see, though, uh, he, he's coming home. He's quietly kind of sneaking in at like around. Four. I'd like to say a little bit about the colors, if we might. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of blue. And obviously that's represented as nighttime in lots of films. But but it's a very sort of uh, diffused, um, beautiful blue colors uh, coming from the windows. And you're supposed to think sort of just pre-sunup, pre-sunrise, very quiet, and then cool, cool, muted colors. And it's, it's just gorgeous to me. But he, he walks into the bedroom. He removes it. He has a routine where he takes off his coat, throws it on a chair, and then goes into the bedroom. And his wife is asleep, Alice is asleep, and she's laughing. She's laughing in her sleep. And he sits down on the edge of the bed and wakes her up. And then she says, I had a horrible dream, but she'd clearly been having a lot of fun in her <laughs> dream. So <laughs> she's confused a little bit about that. And he's had this mad, crazy uh, night, but... A lot of time is spent on her dream, which is almost prophetic in a way. It sort of parallels his adventures in some way. Uh, she talks about having been naked with him someplace, and they felt very ashamed, embarrassed. And then he left to find them clothes, and she felt wonderful once he left. And suddenly <laughs> she was stretched out naked in the sun. And naval officer guy came, but at first he didn't seem interested, but then he ravished her, and then everybody was fucking. Yeah. <laughs> it's just – She's like the, sitting there, I, I, I fuck so many men. Uh, so many. <laughs> so many. So his wife, yet again, shares a, yes. a, a sex dream. Yeah. And, and he's looking at her incredulously like, how dare you, when he's just been physically – I don't know. But – uh, she says, I, then I started laughing. I wanted you to see this. I wanted you to feel that I was fucking all of these men. So it's another hint like, hey, you're not present. You're not present even when you're present, I think. What do you get? 
I think it it's also a way for him to or for her to sort of embarrass him, shame him, yeah, like and and to make him feel that he's cuckolded and emasculated. Yeah. Like, look at me fucking all these men. Because she, that's sort of what she levels at him um, in in the pot argument. She's like, you don't think women feel these things too? Yeah. Um, he had the you know wife on a pedestal kind of I, ideal, I yeah. think, and she was trying to shatter that. Yes, she break she it was. down in some way. Dude, did we mention that he hides his costume? <laughs> he, he does. Apparently, he has a little safety cabinet, I guess, in his office, and he takes something out, maybe a medical bag or something with, you know, things you wouldn't want a child to I th- get into. I think it was like an accordion folder or something. He takes with files or something, and he takes that out and he pulls that out and. Shoves the bag in there. Shoves the bag in there. The very next day, he tries to to go into work. Uh, The first thing he does is – now, the piano notes. You want to talk about that? Okay. Because I have a funny story to share with you. All right. So what's her name? Miss Pook. Maestro Pook. Yes. She has this – she has lovely orchestral and liturgical style music for the score, but there's also this one sort of idée fix or whatever you want to call it. That's just a few piano notes, and I think it's sort of G, 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 dun, dun, dun. I can't do it now. I can't think of it. So that baby did a bad thing in my mind. But yeah, yeah. so jarring one note. Veronica's making dinner, and I'm just kind of like fast-forwarding through this. Yeah. And I get to this part, and I hear her call from the kitchen, that's a G. And I went, what? <laughs> she goes, that's a G. And I said, how do you know that's a G? She goes, because it's a G. And I said, prove it, because so, she has this app on her phone where she can play notes yeah, <laughs> just to check her you know, pitch yeah. or whatever. And <laughs> it was, like, perfect. <laughs> like, She's oh, my perfect. God. And then <laughs> and she goes – I said, well, okay, what's that note? Because there's one where it goes it – I don't know if it goes a little higher or a little lower. And she goes, mm, that's uh, – It's way in the bass. Is it? She goes, now, that's F3 to F3 sharp. <laughs> Do you know what I figured out? I, I put ladies and gentlemen out there uh, and, and beings of all sort. I put a little teaser on our Instagram page if you want to check it out because I was like, what is that? And what I had pecked out was an A because I was playing it at the same time. Like, that's it. That's it. Then later, when they get to that, that little motif again, I thought, that can't be right. So I have a keyboard, an electric keyboard. And I hit the A, and of course it wasn't an A; it was a G. So my piano is completely out of whack. Mm. You know, the, I uh, thought it was. Like <laughs> no, yeah. I didn't think it was out of whack. I was like, you know, stone ears over here. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, no, no, the G sounded much better, and then, but but that's pretty cool that that we could just oh, uh, she could just pick it out. Um, and she's always been able to do that. Plus, so funny, like she's making, she's just making grilled cheese on a cookie sheet in the kitchen. And I hear her go, that's a G. (laughs) What? (laughs) Very cool. Uh, I I do know that, uh, that Kubrick really liked the backwards liturgical music. And he asked Pook, I want to call her Pookie, Pook, if she, quote, had anything else weird like that. That she could come up with for the for the yeah. film, and she she came up with a piano piece. I, that's damn cool. It is. I think. And do you know what? It unnerved me the first time I saw this movie. I couldn't take it, but then I found that I kind of enjoyed it after a while. 
I, I did. I don't know if I enjoy the piano, but I kind of am with you on the chanting. It does sound cool. And you can you can actually maybe we should put that in our description. There is a yeah. longer piece of it. Yeah. Um, her uh, there's sort there's sort of like an intro, and it's on YouTube. So maybe we could put the link in the description. So. Rhyming with book, so pook. Okay. It says Jocelyn Pook, okay. rhyming with book, born 14 February 1960, is an English composer and viola player, and she okay. played the viola. I do know that. Yeah. Um, she is known for Eyes Wide Shut, The Merchant of Venice, and The Wife. That's recently. I think your mother – did your mother recommend that film? Yes, my mother did recommend that. Did she right, recommend we, that to you too? Yes, and we need to watch it then. The Wife, 2017. Yep, I need to see that. Directed by Bjorn Rump. Okay. And Jane Anderson. The Wife. Who's in it? I believe Glenn Close is Glenn in it. Glenn Close. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan Price, Glenn Close. Okay. The very next day, he's – I think he's bit just basically spending the morning kind of maybe covering his tracks, but also I think he's worried Naughty, about, too. and and worried about uh, Nick Nightingale because the first thing he does is he, he oh, goes to yeah. the front of the Sonata Cafe looking for Nick Nightingale. You, you see him in the front of of the Sonata Cafe, then he goes <laughs> to the coffee <laughs> shop. <laughs> And uh, he just wants coffee. It, it, I, the way he's, he, it, it's not even ingratiating. It's obnoxious. The way he just sort of, I'm a doctor. I'm yes. friends with him. Did you notice a, a, a slip up at the diner? No, tell me. All right. He he does his come hither look with everyone he speaks to, so he can get intel mm-hmm. information. And he asks the woman who's just waiting at the empty seat to, at the coffee. Uh, what do you call that bar? No, what do you call that when you're sitting at the bar of a diner? Is that a bar? Counter. Counter. The counter. Yes, with the, the stools. <laughs> and she's just standing there poised to give him a cup and, a, and his coffee, and she has a great New York accent. But then after a few cutaways of conversation, she slips into an English accent. Oh, I did not I did not notice yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also have another piece of trivia. The headdress woman who chose to redeem herself in in his stead that was also looped because apparently the the actress couldn't project in in a convincing american accent and so kate blanchett did the looping for that oh my god yeah what a kawiki dink huh that we just did um <laughs> carol i i don't well she's very close friends with nicole kidman so she oh yeah so maybe like Kate was in the neighborhood. Hey, do you want to? Can, can you just live for a few minutes? I'm just going to say these two lines. It's Kubrick, you know. And from Australia, yeah, do it for Kubrick. Do it for Stan. Do it for Stan. <laughs> he's he's not going to be with us long, maybe. He manages to get out of the the coffee shop. Wait, person. Yes, the where Nick Nightingale lives. I don't know how yes. she knows, Where but she's like, yeah, yes. I, I know him, I know him. So it's just some ho- hotel, because we, we find out Nick Nightingale, when they're sharing stories about what she's been doing the past 10 years, Nick apparently is married and has kids back in uh, Seattle. Seattle. Like, why would And you... yet he does this constant gig at, in New York? I don't know. I didn't find any of that believable, but okay. There, there are some things in this film 
<laughs> that doesn't make any sense. All right, well, you must be divorced then, Nick. Yeah. You must have abandoned your family then, Nick. Yeah. Poor That's kids? What, I don't think so. You're living in a kind of a questionable hotel. Okay. Can and I just you're, say that the <laughs> and the whole band thing I don't I don't belong in a band. I just do pickup stuff. Yeah. All of it just seems really shady, Nick. I think you're yeah. dealing yeah. opium or something. But but Dr. Bell is very concerned about his friend. Did he get disappeared as well? Mm. And yes. It's immediately the reason. clerk there, he reminded me so much of what is his name? Paul Rubens. Uh, Pee Wee Herman? Yes, but uh, he's a pretty well-known actor. I thought you had pointed he's, that out to me. Did I? Alan Cumming. Yeah. He, Alan Cumming, O-B-E-F-R-S-E, is a Scottish actor. His London stage appearances include Hamlet. He is a dude, I feel like. He auditioned he, like six times for Kubrick, I read. That's he did? Read. Yeah. He kept auditioning for him. He does a very convincing American ac accent, I thought. He he does. But he did have the, I don't know, the body language, the peewee body language a little bit. And he, he, like everybody else, is clearly smitten with Dr. Bill. I guess Dr. Bill's charms are irresistible. You can tell he's obviously attracted to Dr. Bill, finds him attractive, because his little eyebrows go up, like, ooh. By the, we should mention also, wherever Dr. Bill goes, he flashes his board-certified <laughs> doctor ID. Like, that's going to open all the doors. <laughs> I'm sorry. Find that hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Can I do that with a microphone? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll help. And once, uh, once the clerk sees that he's... You know, Doctor Bill. He he doesn't say the name. He just, or Doctor Bill doesn't. And presumably, it says William. And the clerk says, "Is it Bill?" And is really up in his face, isn't he? And he, ready to gossip. At first, he's closed-mouthed. Yes. I, I can't remember what makes him warm up. He, you know what he said is, uh, "Did you notice?" Doctor Bill says, "You know, did you notice anything odd or?" Unusual. He says, well, "Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, got a bruise he on his face." He was with two guys. Yeah, not the sort of guys you'd want to hang out with, really. And they, one of them went up to the room with him, the other stayed and settled his bill, and then they both walked him out to a car. And it was at 5 a.m. He he also says he tried to pass me an envelope with a note. He tried to pass me something, but they took it. Yeah. And they yeah. said if there was any kind of message or. Communication. It had they to be. must go through the proper channels and authorities, or something right, like that. Something like something that. Formal. He leaves, knowing now that <laughs> something <laughs> might have happened to his friend Nick Knighton. Yes, and it's all his fault too. Yeah, and or he's thinking that. The next step on his uh, travel is he's <laughs> returning his costume. Yes. This is hilarious as well. He, he goes back to the rainbow costumes shop, and what's his name? Millie is there, and the daughter's there, also giving him lots of bedroom eyes and very game. And then the two, you know, would-be molesters, rapists, cheerfully come out from the back and, and say goodbye to Millie and wishes them well. Yeah, Millie is like, thank you, gentlemen. Have a great day. Come again, and <laughs> everybody's happy. 
and Dr. Bill is, is once again gobsmacked. He's, what the hell? I thought you were calling the police. Illich just sort of shrugs. Well, we made a better deal. <laughs> Everything is for sale. Yeah, and he's like, hey, if you need anything, even not if you costumes, yeah, even not costumes, as he puts his arm around his daughter. Yeah, and I, I, I do think that's where things are starting to go really dark, dark, much darker for yeah. for Doctor Bill. <laughs> <laughs> but but he can't get enough, can he? He is the next scene. Oh yeah, he next scene back at the office maybe. I think okay. I think he goes back to his office, but then he 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 tells his uh, he tells his assistant he's like, how many appointments I have? Isn't doesn't he ask her that? Well, first he tries to make a phone call. He tries to call Marion, the woman whose whose father had passed away. Yes. But the boyfriend answers the phone and he hangs up. So he's up to no good at the office right away. And then he asks his assistant to cancel all of his afternoon appointments or hand them over to another doctor. Mm-hmm. And then he goes a cruising. Yeah, he's uh, heading out to Long Island to Somerton. Oh. And this was the only – this is the only – this is the daylight hours. So yeah. we can things see things a little more visible the sign at night you saw he 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 pulls up to it when you're looking at the screen right to left you see the yeah. summerton sign and then you see the summerton so i guess the sign is just out there's two signs and one is just out of frame or they just made one sign and they moved it and made sure that so it it would convey that there's a sign for summerton on either side of the driveway Okay. Okay. That was I wasn't the, sure if that was the cut from the TV or what. Yeah. That was yeah. I okay. I felt like there was a continuity thing there, but maybe not. Maybe not. It just you had a specific one. Has it not come up yet? You had a very. Big no, that was the one. I, I was like, is that there a sign it. on both sides, or did they make one sign and they moved moved it from one side of the driveway entrance to the other? Well, he's driving across that bridge, and I don't know the area well enough to know, you know, where he's headed. You said Long Island. Yeah, he's it's Long driving Island. a Range Rover, and I'm thinking, aha, first sign of a British thing. And, <laughs> but I, I guess there's, I don't know, is that that must be the rear projection second unit footage of real New York, I guess, because it would yeah, be hard be. to recreate. And he goes to the gate, and so I, I don't think they're waiting there. I think they drive up. Uh, and a tall man, simply known in the credits as Tall Butler, I think, hands him a letter. He opens it, and there's a short paragraph typed that basically gives him his second warning. Do yeah. not try to come here again. Do not try to follow up, or very bad things will happen. I, mm. I, I wrote down here, home again, Bill. Wait, they're, they're, we're missing something where Nicole Kidman is helping the little girl, Helena, with her math, and he has another one of those moments where he sees – Oh, I think that's yes. I think that's the night before actually. He comes home, and she says we need to help. Uh, you, you need to call the Zieglers and tell them thank you for the party. He says I already did. That's yeah. right. And but but there's sort of a, a you know domestic. For, well, for brevity's scene. sake, I've been just cutting those out because I know that oh, they're, okay. those are happening. But yeah. the the one my one complaint about this film is that it is, it is entirely focused on on the one character, and not enough I think on. But I kind of get it now though. 
in a way. I, I think I, I, th I didn't have that problem with it. I liked that it was his journey that he had and that she had to decide at the end what to do with that journey mm. that strayed from fantasy. The only reason I mentioned the domesticity, the domesticity scene where she's helping the child with the homework and it's all just perfect. And he's looking at this, the mother of his child, but all I can think of is this naval officer fantasy. <laughs> and you get that little blue movie playing in his head again. Yeah, you <laughs> She's know, just innocently helping the child with their math. You bring up a good point because there, every time he comes home, actually even um, I think it's this time he comes home, yeah. and it is the math problem, and he takes a beer out of the fridge. Because there's two scenes. One, she's reading, and then the other one, they're doing a math problem. I think this is the math problem. Yeah. Um, the, that first night, she's like, thank the Zieglers, and then uh, he's watching a football game and drinking a beer. And she tells him, hey, you want to wrap Christmas presents? And he goes, no, can we do it tomorrow? Yeah. Something like yeah. that. But then we, we should mention that there's Christmas everywhere. I think we did in the beginning. Yeah. The Christmas trees in every single place except yeah. the the party house christmas christmas hasn't happened yet um well maybe for some people it did in the party house i don't know but um <laughs> uh the ending for many yeah but you're right sam when he comes home that night and they're doing the, the word math uh the or math wor word, word math problem word math uh, word problem word yes. math problem <laughs> If Johnny has two hundred and fifty, you are absolutely right. Though he is standing right by the refrigerator with his beer, and he's just stewing. He's pissed because he he's totally thinking about that. She looks up at him and smiles, and she's got her her sexy librarian look going on with the glasses and her hair up and everything, and the child doing a nice thing. And she looks up and smiles nicely at him, but that he warps that into a lascivious. Mm. You know, I don't know what. Yeah, so he's going on this journey, but at the same time, he's got this obsession about, you know, did she or her didn't fidelity. she? Yeah, yeah, her fidelity. He makes an excuse, though. Um, he has to go back out to work. Except <laughs> this, this concierge doctor job. So she must be used to all hours, coming and going at all hours. And he says he has to go back out at 7. But he doesn't. He's he's going a cruising again, isn't he? Yeah, he goes to he goes to go. He tries to go find Domino. Yeah. And I, uh, so I'm going to ask you. He keeps looking. He calls. He calls Marion. Yeah. He knows Marion wants him. Yeah. He's checking back in on Domino. He wants to have sex because he does revenge he, sex. I revenge think. sex because I think he thinks she cheated on him. Yeah, but her words are more powerful than his <laughs> actions. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. She's. I'm sorry, my cat just leapt up in the air for no reason. All four <laughs> feet. <laughs> I saw it over the tabletop. The, okay. the, the stuff that he's conjured up in his head. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Sam. Yeah, and she hasn't physically done anything that we know of. And so he, he grabs, I don't know, some delectables. I, I couldn't read the name on the <laughs> cat yeah. still leaping in the air. It um, had me <laughs> craving pastries. I, I just wanted to know, wh what were they? Cannoli? What are they? Some luscious they thing cannolis. in there. God damn it. Yeah. 
leave the gun, take the cannolis. Mm. And uh, so he knocks on the door, but uh, a different woman answers. She says, who, who is it? And she, she's a little cautious at first. And he says, my name is Bill. And she says, the Bill? And he's taken aback and yet pleased, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that Ward, Ward has, I guess, Domino sang his praises, that he was such a gentleman and paid her anyhow and you know didn't ask anything of her. And... What is her name? I don't know this woman's name. There's Domino. I don't. I don't remember. Maybe we don't get her name. But he's he's handsy right away. Like yeah. Ready for the train. He knows the deal now. Uh, follows her into the kitchen, and he's all smiley and ready for it. Ready for it. You know, eager, unbuttoning her buttons, and 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 she's receptive, uh, but also pushing him away a little bit. Like, hold on, hold on, hold on, sit down. Uh, and so she offers him some coffee, and he's still got this, I don't know what, cocky game face on. Like, sure, let me tell your cute story. What is it? What is it? And yeah, wanting to get to business. Tale. Yeah. And she says, you know, I, I think you should know that, uh, that Domino got some blood tests back this morning, and she's HIV positive. And he, his smile sort of freezes, and he goes into doctor mode. You can see a little bit. Like oh that just harshed my uh, my little vibe my there. little bill my little bill <laughs> my little bill we're thinking he's very little and um he because <laughs> all of this and um and he gets very serious and and it's really a nice exchange I thought this actress did a wonderful job she's. She's also a sex worker, but again, there's a very humanistic exchange on her side. He's not being very he, – he's being objectifying, but, but she's decided to tell him something. All right. Like maybe you should get tested if you did. Maybe she doesn't know they didn't do anything. I don't know why she tells him that. I, I think that um, she, she goes, well, I know you were with her last night, so she doesn't know to the extent – and I guess in '99, this would have been more of a. Um, it would have a been scary moment. Um, uh, these inhibitors um, were just oh, yeah. starting to. Uh, I want to say '97. They were. It wasn't as bleak as it would have yeah. been, say, in the early '90s. Yeah. Because it was still, it was pretty bleak all the way up into the mid '90s, until. But I think for your general audience that isn't familiar with medical advances in 1999 it's a oh shit i dodged a bullet moment or it's meant to be yeah uh you still wouldn't want to you know contract hiv in yeah. 99 yeah. no because there's so much uncertainty so yeah um you're right absolutely yeah. um, and in case you missed that point <laughs> what, what happens he goes Oh, I just want to go back to the costume shop just for a second because I do think that this was problematic for me. The costume shop is on the street level, but he walks up the stairs and then is in the shop. And that bothered me immensely for perfectionist Kubrick to do that. <laughs> but maybe he had to go get the millet or something. Yeah, All right. So he, he does depart, and he's he wanders into – what looks to me like an authentic pub. Oh well, first he um, what? he notices he's being followed out on the street. 
oh yeah, there's a man in an actual brown camel-colored trench coat appearing everywhere. And of course, you've got that piano note, the G, G, um. G, 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 G. <laughs> <clears throat> this is the part where Veronica looked up and she goes, oh, I don't like that. When there, There's this one shot, it's really good, uh, when yeah. he stops to get a paper. He's yeah. just like, oh, open newsstand, I'll go over here. Yeah. He tries to catch a cab, can't catch a cab. Sees the open newsstand. There's nobody on the street. It's it is creepy. Yeah. And uh, that one shot where he's under the the streetlight, and he's just completely still and staring yeah. at Doctor Bill. And that's yeah, the, that is creepy. That's the part where if somebody catches your eye and is clearly watching you. Clearly watching you. I mean, that was kind of the point of that yeah. shot. Is like even the trench coat was a bit you know. I am much. following you. Yeah. <laughs> In case. For some reason, I liked to think of him as Michael Caine, and I have no explanation for that. <laughs> but it just made, it pleased me to think that was Michael Caine. It wasn't. I, I did like that. In case you're trying to convince yourself that I'm not following you, I'm going to stand here long enough so you know I am following you. And that's when Veronica, Veronica was like, no, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. At least you know who your adversary is. <laughs> They're doing that and being so obvious. So, well, so you run? Well, yeah. No, I was like, when I was watching, I was like going, I don't find him threatening at all. And if I no, were Dr. Bill, <laughs> I would be like, what the fuck do you want? I, just, I think his hackles were raised after speaking to Domino's, mm. is it Domin, uh, Domino's roommate. That hmm. he's starting to get that adrenal. He he's been kind of clueless all along, and nothing is. He's not really been buying it or been frightened, but now he's starting. His hackles are starting to rise a bit, and then seeing this obvious detective guy is heightening that, and he goes running into a very nice pub. I'm sorry, that is not a New York City. <laughs> that, oh no, that that's the only. Yeah. It's it's supposed to be a coffee, uh, like a little, um, um, like espresso like, bar. I would say like a Russian tea room, maybe. Or yeah, something like that. English, or, yeah. He goes in and he orders a, like a cap, espresso or something. Cappuccino, like that. yeah. She goes, "I'll bring it to you." So. Yeah. And she strangely. And by the way, Mozart's Requiem is playing, mm. and that that again gave me Amadeus vibes. It's strangely enough. Um, what was I going to say? I thought that the woman in the coffee shop earlier yeah. closely resembled the woman that gave him coffee in the oh, little espresso yes. bar. I did I wonder that about that, weird. too. Yeah. Well, all women look mostly alike. Just, no, they don't. <laughs> I just thought maybe that was intentional. I, I wondered that, too. And then he picks up – he has his paper. It's the New York Post, and in big splash letters on the cover, it says, Lucky to be alive right after his mm. scare with the sex worker. And then he opens the page, and dun-dun-dun, that loud G again going on, going crazy. Um, uh, Ex-beauty queen in hotel drug overdose. Yeah. This. Yeah. And it's Mandy, that, that woman at the Christmas party he and his wife had attended, he and Alice had attended. Yes. So he, uh, um, what, what did you think of that? giant revolving door <laughs> <laughs> i was sitting there looking at it going i don't think that's in america 
I don't know what that is. What is that? Oh, I've, I've, where have I encountered a huge revolving door like that? I just know I, I can have. only think of airports. I, I can't think of any. Maybe airports. Uh, yeah, I think hotels, an airport. Maybe. Mm. So he goes to the hospital and he's waving around that ID again. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Bill. Dr. Bill. Dr. Bill's yeah. passport. She was my patient. <laughs> I'm very sorry. Why wouldn't you know she's dead? And that was an awkward exchange, too, because he says Amanda, whatever her last name was. And the nurse says, Amanda, yes, Amanda, Amanda, yes, Amanda. So there's a lot of that again. For Amanda no Curran, C-U-R-R-A-N. Okay. It's a very British and name, by the way. This is a very <laughs> English. Curran is a very English-sounding name. I'm it sorry. Is. And that's, that's why they had to get Kate in there, who can do any accent. And he uh, then goes, uh, she, he's given the, and, and I'm thinking timeline-wise, because he had just seen this in the paper in the New York Post, uh, ex-beauty queen hotel drug overdose. And I thought she said she had died at 345 or something like that that afternoon. So I'm wondering about the paper he read and the timing of the overdose. Oh, is there an evening edition, 345 that know. day? Oh, good, good question. I mean, it may not be a good catch. I have to go back and see if I miss. Well, once upon something. a time, there was an evening issue. Those were the good old days. Yeah. You could get something called the Evening Post, Evening Paper. Now you just go minute to minute. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking news yeah. every. Blah. I miss it. <laughs> I do too. I miss the Evening Post. And also, Post. the New York Post is a little different in orientation these days. But we mm, don't need yeah. to go there. But, but I mean. In case you didn't get his, you know, adrenaline-fueled paranoia now, lucky to be alive is splashed on that paper. <laughs> and, then, yeah. um, and then what? Does he get the call from – No, he, go, he goes down to the morgue. Oh, yeah. He wants to see for himself, I think, is this the same woman that I took care of? Yeah. It, it, yeah. Or is this the woman that get... – you know, I'm so confused because he he sees the name – I don't think he associates Amanda Curran with Mandy. I think he does. Really? Why would he go? Yeah. Because there he... is that moment of like kind of shock when uh, he's talking to Ziegler, but we were not there. Terms, not not her face, but because he didn't, he hadn't seen her face. He's. I don't think he recognizes her from from Ziegler's party at that moment. I think I think he recognized – he knew that her name was Mandy, right? Right. And he knew somebody at that party knew him. I think he says, do I know you or do you know me? And she says yes at, at the party, and she's trying to warn him. What, at the ball? Kisses the cold dead body, bends over. He does. I wonder. You know, he's leaning way – no, get away. Pulls out the slot for for this body that's refrigerated there and there she is and I'm looking very closely at this body to see if it's moving <laughs> or if there's a prosthetic thing and I kind of thought I saw a prosthetic a thing rubber person <laughs> yeah like was there a hole in the table kind of thing oh, and wow. then the bottom part was because there's no breathing oh. she looks pretty dead yeah and he does he, he sort of very slowly bends over but he doesn't bend over all the way but he almost looks like he wants to kiss her I do he think he thinks that this is the woman that saved his possibly yeah, saved his life. I think there's a moment of 
of gratefulness or thankfulness. Did you, did you sacrifice your life for me? Yeah. He's starting to believe that. Yeah, I, d I he definitely believed it before. I, d I definitely think that. Yes, he's convinced that that's the, the one and the same woman. As he's leaving the morgue, that's when his phone rings, and he goes, "Yeah, tell him I'll be there in 20 minutes." And it's Ziegler, and this is the big, well, one of the big confrontation. I find Sidney Pollock so attractive. I just <laughs> really do. I don't know what it is about him. May he rest in the eternal love. But uh, yeah, he he's he's summoned. Doctor Bill is summoned to Ziegler's palatial house. And he's brought up to the billiard room, because, of course, it has a billiard room. And Sidney is knocking some balls around. Dr. B Bill comes in. The confrontation, he's, he shows up at Ziegler's house. What happens? Ziegler, at, at first, Tom Cruise tries to play dumb. He says, what can I do for you? Is there anything I can do for you? And they take a long, and, and Ziegler offers him a drink. A drink, drink, and he, he takes a, a scotch, neat, I believe, and really beating around the bush, Ziegler says that he doesn't have a medical problem, that it's another sort of problem, and tells Bill no bullshit, because he says, I know what you did last night. I know everything that happened, and if you knew who these people were, you wouldn't sleep at night. These are... These are big deal people you were dealing with, and you're way out of your depth. Yeah. And Tom Cruise tries to play innocent for a while, but then he breaks down. He says, I know you went to see Domino's. I know I, I'm the one who had you tailed. I, I know your every move. So he, he backs it up. He said, it was for your only good. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but it was really to protect you that I had this detective guy follow you. And Tom Cruise is really taken aback and sits down in a chair. And he this is some good acting, I think. He's He's got his head in his hand. Is that what he's doing? He's got his hands clasped almost in a confessional kind of way, if you want to go to the fallen Catholic route. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> some of the best uh, framing of, of Tom Cruise in this film is, is in in this scene. Uh, also, um, when he's in the coffee shop, uh, the or the espresso bar, yeah, some really nice framing, um, yeah. and he at first, uh, oh, what I want to say here, he we we find out basically that uh, Ziegler was probably tricorn guy. Yes, and now, I couldn't remember if if Tricorner guy spoke because Sidney Paul Ziegler has such a distinctive voice, doesn't he? But I don't think he did. Maybe he just gestured. Yeah, um, and and when Tricorn guy Ziegler comes in there um, in that one room and brings the other woman before uh, headdress woman comes or uh, Mandy comes to try and rescue. Red cloak man, red headdress uh, yeah. woman. Um, <laughs> about it um, I I kind of took that like because uh, she she's like so do you do you like what you're you know are you enjoying yourself and I I wonder if that was his uh, test of seduction like 
well, maybe this isn't a total loss. Maybe we could bring him into the fold. But no, I, th- I think it's uh, you're not even. I at think this he's level. not affluent enough. Yeah, to be. You're not at this level, buddy. Yeah. yeah. What you did was you were a buffoon in their eyes, yeah. and you're basically in mine. <laughs> you're you're in our service. You're really not at our height here. You're yeah. not at our level. But he uh, he questions he he proposes. Siegler says, "All of that. What if it was just a charade to scare you?" Mm. And he says, uh, "Doctor Bell says, how does a charade end up with a, a dead woman?" And he's like, a, "She was a junkie." He pulls the uh, he pulls the bit of newspaper he's torn out with with the death notice. Amanda's death notice and said, says to Ziegler, did you know about this? And he says, yes. In that measured way that only Sidney Pollock can, can do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame, but you know, she was going to, it was going to happen with her. You even said it yourself. And that's where I'm like, I don't know that he had put all the pieces together because he seemed genuinely shocked when he said the woman you took care of in the bathroom, like he put it, Mm. he, he's like, Oh, there seemed to be like this moment of sort of recognition. Yeah. But and, long, and he does. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to go ahead. He does ask, was was that the same woman at the ball, at the masked ball? And Ziegler says, yes. Yep. She was a hooker, Bill. Sorry to put it that way, but that's what she was. Right. And a junkie. And he's also concerned with his friend, Nick Nightingale. Because he oh, he's yeah. probably back. Banging, banging Mrs. Night, Mrs. Nick, Mrs. Nightingale. Says, "What about the bruise?" Yeah. Well, he got off lately. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so you have a moment of is this guy just totally covering it up, or did it really happen? Or I don't know. And maybe Bill doesn't know either. So the final word he has for him is basically, "What does he? Do? How does it resolve? How does it end?" That conversation. I think he, I'm trying to think here, Beth. I think he says, don't look into this anymore. Right. Nick is fine. That girl is gone. There's nothing you can do about it. She was, go- she was headed that way anyhow. You're out of your depth. And I think the thing that really, he, he sends him away, but what he finds at home is really sort of a godfather moment to me. Where he, oh yeah, uh, you know, truly knows not to mess around with these folks anymore. Well, here's the thing. I, I've okay. He he leaves Ziegler's. He is yes. coming home. And it, do we get blue light again? Yes, we do. Lots of blue light. His jacket. And, and we on. get a scene also with Ziegler where they're they're both sort of looking past the camera, and they and you get a kind of lighting effect where half of Tom Cruise's face is in blue, and the other half is natural lighting. Mm. And I don't know, looking at the symbolically maybe the duplicity within mm. everybody i don't know if we yeah. want to go that far uh he returns home he goes back to that refrigerator <laughs> gets the budweiser <laughs> out and i i i even take the beer to be very uh seems veronica, very pedestrian if he's on his way up yeah veronica sort of made the observation she's like there's something about him that's rather flat and I thought, yeah, that's that's a good way of 
putting yeah. it. That he's very. Um, he's not as. Um, there's he's something not as, as sophisticated as he would like to be. Yeah, I think. Yeah. He's surrounded by all this opulence, mm-hmm. and even his his wife, who you know worked in an upscale gallery and is well educated I, and and can level with him with words. I think he feels less than mm. in every way. He makes his way into the bedroom boudoir yeah and before you say what you're going to say <laughs> uh when he returned his costume to millage yeah. one thing was missing yes the mask I to, we omitted that the mask was gone and he had to pay what was it 25 dollars or something for yeah, the mask 25 dollars. he's kind of perplexed like huh i thought i huh. i had it all together in the bag right. all right well so he's uh Standing in the doorway there, and lo and behold, his wife is sleeping in a lovely way, and on his pillow, the empty side of the bed, the mask is there. Dun, dun, dun. It's pretty creepy. Yes. How the mask get there? Did she find it and put it there to, to taunt him? Did Ziegler have one of his henchmen put it there as a warning like i was thinking of the godfather and the horse the race horse but, uh you know i you couldn't refuse it. this was the first time that i interpreted it as uh this third time watching through she put the mask there yeah. she found the mask how duplicitous are they i don't know well he's not as afraid i think of these people but the the look of horror on his face yeah. when he see to me the horror on his face is she found the mask she's the only you one could that explain could explain a mask i think mm, she would have found it look she would have known where he locked his things she probably would have yeah. known where he locked his keys he yeah. had that first thing in the morning he had that bag to take the uh, take the um, costume back. That was um, a- after. Well, no, after the Sonata uh, um, <laughs> Cafe. Um, <laughs> that was his second stop after the coffee shop. You know, yeah. was to yeah. take take that back. Yeah. And um, or the third stop, but that was on his list of things to do. Oh, also Ziegler back when they had their chat said look we even fa- we know when you return the costume you left the things in the car with the receipt from the rainbow costume place he's got all that evidence though he does so but i, I you still wonder th- did he clue the wife in or you know oh i don't i don't i don't think he clued the wife in i just think that he's more afraid of her this being revealed to his wife than to then him being found out as an infant, you know, inter- interloper in their little, yeah. their little group, because yeah. he he cries and he's like, he just starts bawling. He goes, "I'll tell you everything. I'll, I'll and, tell and it's you." Some seriously good acting. I don't feel manipulated by this scene. And crying scenes sometimes make me feel that way, like the Oscar moment crying scene. But I I thought it was very very well done. And he just sort of cuddles up to her and, and says, like you said, I'll tell you everything. And I don't think she could have known because, 
I mean, maybe she found the mask and put it there like, I know something's up, but I don't know what. Or they put it there, we don't know. But black, fade to black, then the next scene is a close-up of Alice, Nicole Kidman, and she's smoking a cigarette in her home, and her eyes are red. She's been crying. He's obviously told her everything, and it's been a very emotional experience for her. He's very shamefaced and just sort of sitting there in the in, in the opposite sofa opposite her. Yeah. And uh and she reminds him, she's like, Helena will be up soon and we promise we take her Christmas shopping. Yeah. But but her eyes she's destroyed. And in, unless she's really duplicitous and deceptive, I don't think that that she knew anything. No, I don't think she knew anything. I don't think she knew anything. All she, I'm convinced that that scene, the horror on his face, is he's been found out by. This has all been discovered by his wife. She would have found that mask with those articles of costume. I thought we're gonna have to look this up. I thought this group that he's been playing around with is so powerful that they can do anything, including. Slipping that mask onto the but I think and... in terms of it's a it's a film about if it is a film about marriage and relationships and intimacy, um and and that's sort of how it's sewn up at the end of the film, that yeah. really the horror is this person that you are because it is all about their levels of intimacy and their connectedness and how well do they really know each other. And in 10 years, how far apart have they separated, you know? Yeah. Um, but I really think that horror is, oh, my God, I am more I afraid of her I think it's a wake-up moment. He, he, and, and they do – and, of course, the, the name of the movie, Eyes Wide Open and everything. We get to that with this – we cut to a really beautiful toy store, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and – the little girl Helena's like, Mommy, look at this and look at this and look at this and maybe this Santa will bring me this and she's very soft spoken and they're keeping up appearances, I guess, for the child. Mm. But the occasional, you know, what are we gonna do? And they go down one the child keeps interrupting like like six times. Like they they can't get a serious sentence out you know, in deference to the child. They have to be gentle. And does he ask her what what do we do? He does what, several what do times. What do you want? What yeah. do you want to do? And she really draws out this sentence, doesn't she? She's I think maybe I think it yeah goes on for a very long time we should be grateful. Yes. And I don't have the exact line. I know the she last says line. that we've we've survived. You know yeah. this our adventures whether they're real or dreams yeah and he kind of says um something about dreams being sometimes dreams uh are more reflect reality yes. as much as reality reflects or, or, or can appear like a dream I'm right something but it's it's pretty close though. And uh and she said, But the point is is that we're awake now. Yeah. And then he we says were asleep before. Yeah. And, and we're, we're awake, awake now. And he says, uh 
forever. And and she's like, no, that scares me. In other words, yeah. we just let's just be present. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I had to think about the actors during that scene because I was thinking, okay, they're I don't know how long they had been married in 1999, but I bet he was doing a bit of method with that forever, forever. You, Nicole Kidman, my wife, and ironically, she says, let's not use forever. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> presciently. And she does say, I love you. I love you. I do love you. Yeah. yeah. I do love you. And I think we just need to. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. Go home and yeah. fuck. Yeah. And make it you make it. Go ahead. Fake it till you make it. And I, I think they had been disassociated from one another. There are, there's a, I know that there's been a, a school of thought, uh, at least in couples therapy, that that, as couples have been together for a very, very, very long time, we're talking more than 10 years, you know, when we hit middle age, that that's a part of a key part of some belief in couples therapy. Yeah. Is that physical reconnection is very, very important. And even if if they haven't had intimacy in a while, it's just like kind of, you know, fumble your way through it and do it because or or uh, be be present because they they had tried right on the night of the Christmas ball at Ziegler's. They had an intimate moment after the ball. Oh, yeah. the, The Christmas party. But she was looking off. She was not present. Mm. And maybe he hasn't been present. And I think the mask sitting on the pillow was really an important symbol as well. Just this mask has been lying next to me for nine years or, or whenever they started. Uh, it's, it's a very good, very good point. Yeah. So, uh, Fee, that is the end of the film. Fee. Goes and to back to Black. that uh, Shostakovich. Shostakovich. Which is kind of interesting. Jazz number two. Or j- waltz two. Uh, jazz something loved it <laughs> i love that i love that piece of music so um. so i i think nobody got the genre right and and probably poor cooper would have cringed to see how it was paraded about before it was released we we were going through uh because i was complaining to sam it's like this is an awful movie this is before i had watched it the third time this is this movie you know, if a true test – and we do this a lot. I think a lot of people yeah. do. They're like, yeah. does this hold up? Does, you know, this movie yeah. that I loved back in the 90s, you know, yeah. does it hold up 10, 20 years yeah. later? And we've, do, we've done that quite a few times with films like, wow, that still holds up. Or, and yeah. and this morning I was thoroughly convinced. It's like, this does not hold up. This is worse. Yeah, I, was con- that too. I was just confused when I saw this back in 99 <laughs> and thought it's – just over my head, some of it. But, uh, you know, they did a, you know, yeoman's job of performing, you know, light clap for Kidman and Cruz. What golf clap? No, I, I hope you came back around because I think it's my favorite Kubrick film. It is not mine, but... Uh, this the third watch through. There are some things that I think are are worth talking about. I think it's a, a much more feminist film 
on the third watch through than I had seen the first two times. He's making some really strong statements about the objectification of women, and that yes, uh, and that there's a level of uh, a pyramid really of status, yeah. uh, and who gets to do what yeah. uh, in society. I don't. A lot of people were. I read some recent articles about well, given the the you know that that whole um, oh. The uh, conspiracy theory about the Illuminati and the mm. the the uh, you know that's what it made me think of a scan- conclave with a red man in the red cloak. Okay. Yeah, the scandal with uh, Jeffrey Epstein. It's like, oh, now we know these groups exist, and it's like I don't know that they exist in the way that uh, these people imagine that they do. I mean, the Jeffrey Epstein's exist, procurement ex- exists. Uh, Pedophiles and predators exist, but uh, well, he had this I don't know if they've got costumes. Journey <laughs> to the underbelly of of life there, mm. and all he coveted turned out to be nothing he was he could be a part of or wanted to be a part of. And his biggest loss would have been his his own spouse. Oh, absolutely! I definitely think it it comes to that. I mean, and I, think that's... I guess we have to wonder. I, I think her hints, her words were "wake up, wake up, wake up," and he took them as infidelity, infidelity, infidelity. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah, they were speaking different languages. But I just think there are so many parts of this film were just ridiculous. Like, how does he know to do to you know the exact? Beth, did you get that screenshot I sent you? I'm pointing to something that looks like a mountain in the back of. <laughs> No, but I want to remark that he looks like an absolute child in a in a Halloween costume when he goes to that ball. He does look so. Even though he's wearing the same costume, essentially, he just sticks out like a sore thumb. I think that's on purpose, for sure. Oh, for sure, for sure. I'm trying. No, I see the piano. Yes, what are you doing here? Pointing to what I think is a mountain beyond the set of New York City. Oh. But I don't know if it is. <laughs> like, is that a gap? Scottish Highlands, as they were. <laughs> is that what I'm looking at? You might be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's good. <laughs> but um, is it an erotic thriller? No. 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 I think that's just the, you know, the come hither advertisement. I don't know that it's his best film. It's much deeper than that. I don't know that it's. I would love to know his best film, and I wonder why. Where, where he was at, uh, in his life, you know. um, Did he suspect mortality? I wonder. I don't know. I I don't know if it's his best film. Just don't know if it's his best. Now I'm having. I have to go back to 2001, which is really flawless to me, except for the prequel or the, you know, the prelude bit. The costuming is pretty bad, but the, thus spake Zarathustra bit, you know. I, it's worth watching again, and I did find myself enjoying watching it, you know, 20 years going by. My God. battery's about to go. Jesus. Uh, I, oh, my God. I, it definitely, uh, definitely, uh, enjoyed watching it again and then even though i i was just bashing it before i watched it a, a, the third time <laughs> we were um, and i found some value in it. over it before <laughs> just... 
It's just howling with laughter. He's a tiny little child man walking through this. But but I don't think Kubrick was devoid of humor. I think he was aware of irony and humor along with a very, very big topic in there. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, um, we're going to do something a little different with our episodes. Yes. So we are going to have uh, every month what we're going to do is have like what we consider two of our core episodes, Sam and I. Mm -hmm. And we want to open up our platform to guests. Absolutely. And we would love it. If any of our listeners have a favorite movie that they would like to do, and if you have a phone, um, mm -hmm. that's really all that's required. <laughs> so feel free to DM us your favorite movie, why Absolutely. you want to uh, come on. Or just put it under a new post. Just yeah. let us know unless you want to be, you know. Incognito. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll call you Anonymous any name you want us to. Yeah, we'll call you any any name you would like us to refer to you as. And but shout to some friends of ours about uh, some episodes coming up this month. So we got that lined up, but we really want feedback from you, and we would love to host you. Absolutely. And again, I would like to congratulate us, Beth, going into the new year our second year of podcasting now. I really do appreciate you guys out there. Appreciate it. I want you to share your experience. Yeah. And nobody can uh, talk about... About a film as well as somebody who is truly invested in their favorite film. There you go. You're the expert on that. And we'd like to get more of that into the show. Absolutely. It's, I think that's well said, Sam. So... This film again after 20 years, my God. I have to grudgingly accept that on the third watch through, there's there's a lot of a lot of meat on the bone there. There's there's some food for thought there, isn't there? Yeah. So um, I I don't know why this film and Carol, the last mm -hmm. two films we've done, you know, there's uh, Therese with her camera, mm. and and there's a certain look to Carol. That, which was a shot on 16. I don't know what. What, what was our cinematographer, Lachman, Edward uh, Lachman? And what he had to say about that, that trickery with digital really made an impact on me too, or influenced me as well. Or he didn't have to do much influencing. I, I kind of knew that viscerally. But yeah, there is something to it. Something about film. There's something about the real deal. And there's something about uh, comp the composition of a, of of director yeah directors um their voices we appreciate you so much thank you thank you for being with us wherever in time space or on the globe you are thank you for joining us and uh, we'll be chatting at you soon don't forget dm us email us tell us the movies you want to do and we'll have you on mm -hmm.